HQLA is the Australian company which is hoping for its own $39 billion acquisition. Yes. This is episode 17. Yes, it is. Uh, I would be more than happy with that. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll go with As that As in one. with the acquisition. Yeah, with the acquisition. And that was yeah. a good intro too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, does that intro relate to anything that's happened recently? Well, actually, uh, now that you mention it, Nathan, <laughs> we're, um, we're, we're hot on the coals here, um, as ah, you could say. Yes. Uh, so, Afterpay Square deal. That's Ooh, what's happened okay. in the news what's that? this week. So I did hear about that. Yeah. So, what's happened here yes. is that Square is buying Afterpay. Wow. So it's buying after pay for $39 billion Jeez. in AUD. Okay, yep. Uh, yep. It's, I think it's, a, I think it's like a, actually a variable number in AUD, but I think that's, oh. the, that's the number yeah, okay. at the time of the Yes, because it, it would be a USD figure, right? I believe, it's, a 20, I believe it's $29 billion yep. USD so might is be the US figure. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. And I believe it's a $39 billion AUD if I've got the... Uh, math's wrong on the exchange rate. Yep. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. I don't know. No, no, that's what I had. About 70, yep. 70 um, what are we at? 74 at the moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, Afterpay's yes. user base at June 2021 oh, was, was 16.2 uh, million users. Yeah, just which, figuring out the armrest here. Which is huge. Uh, and 98,000 merchants. 98,000 merchants. Yeah, okay, right. So what, comp- did you watch your say before merchants? Uh, so I said 16.2 million users. 16.2 million users. Okay, great. So that's actually a really big number that if you think, number. About, uh, you think about, you think about, say Robinhood, okay, which IPO'd this week. That's, yes, it uh, did. I'm, I'm giving a spoiler away for my later news piece. Okay, but gotcha. um, that IPO'd actually seven trading days ago. So ten ten days ago or eight nine days ago. Okay. Um, so that one has eighteen. <laughs> that has eighteen million. Users, okay, uh, and that's a very popular kind of app. So the fact 18 that eighteen million users, yes, yeah, so the I fact that Afterpay has sixteen point two, little Aussie startup from Sydney, yes, you know. they had recently expanded a bit though, hey, yeah, so they've expanded overseas, and yeah. internationally and everything, but literally Get in the last well. last year. So last year's figures were yeah. nine point nine million users yep. and fifty five thousand merchants. Whoa! So the users are up thirty eight point nine percent. Wow! Merchants are up forty three point. 9%. Do you know whether or not overseas they had to make any acquisitions to get those? Like, did they just acquire any other smaller um, apps or companies to get that? I well, I'm not sure because I think that they're Seems actually... huge growth. They are, they are a f- pretty small business to right. be making acquisitions. Yeah, okay. I know that, yeah. you know, there's Klarna, there's yeah. um, all, different, all different international ones. Yeah. Uh, I even talk about one in the company that I'm doing okay. later. Like, obviously, in Australia, Zip is probably their biggest competitor competitor right yeah you would say that i, I would, would think that but i'm i i don't i'm not 100 sure yeah, okay, but gotcha. um i think zip is roughly half the size yeah, of okay. afterpay yeah but revenue per merchant is currently at an average of seven thousand usd or nine thousand aud thousand uh, AUD per merchant wow yes which is up 13 percent year on year or um, nine thousand aud per merchant for the year yeah, per yeah, okay. per year. Okay. Uh, so that's that's their current and yeah. consumer monetization is at an average revenue per customer of forty three USD or oh. fifty seven AUD. So that's up twenty two percent year over year. The consumers are th- not the uh, the businesses. They're, yeah. So that's the sixteen point two million. Okay. Um, well, how do times, they monetize them? Well, it's when they when they pay late or when they oh, um, okay. or it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. all the affiliate deals and. Okay. Um, all the other bits that they get to spend on okay. in Afterpay. Yeah. Have you heard about the like the 
the two guys who own this company. Or I haven't heard the founder it. story or anything. I know they're I watched from the Sydney, 60, right? Yeah, I watched a 60 Minutes thing. It's low quality and I have low quality content on this, but... <laughs> yeah, um, that's fine. It's like low res co- <laughs> content. <laughs> Not very detailed. <laughs> low res content. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's what this we'll is. put this bit in 144. <laughs> Okay, as I was saying, this is low-res content, meaning it's not really very detailed. But um, uh, I was watching a 60-minute article, and it's, it was like it was something like there was this older guy, let's say let's mid-40s, um, and he was living across the road from this young, hotshot coder dude. And this older dude was like a salesman or something. Maybe he worked. He might have even worked in finance, yep. something to do with the two. And uh, and then he was living across the road from this guy. And the story kind of goes that like they would put the bins out and like they'd oh, say yeah. hello to each other. And like the kid's like, say, 19, he's like 40, so th- like five or something, whatever, mid-40s, maybe early 30s. Sorry, late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so, so basically ages. the story goes that uh, somehow they had some sort of conversation and it was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. Like, do you want to code that with me or, do, you know, do you want to help me sell this product? Yeah, cool. And and then they basically just came together and started this thing called Afterpay and then it's just been acquired by Square, which is pretty crazy. Very it cool. must be one of the biggest acquisitions in Australia, right? Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a huge, it's a huge number for an Aussie yeah. company. Yeah. And so it's actually made both of them billionaires. I know that. Yes. Which is pretty cool. That's so, cool. I mean, obviously. There's not that many in Australia, right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder you got, how many. We got Mike Cannon-Brooks. You got whoever. Gina Reinhart. Gina Reinhart. <laughs> but <laughs> um, you got the other guy who started the um, the same company, Team Atlassian. Yeah, Atlassian dudes. Uh, and then. Names? I don't know what their names well, are. Well, one of them was Mike Cannon. Okay. I didn't know that's his name. I think his name's Mike Cannon-Brooks or something. Could be. Um, it's possible. And... Who else? There's the guy from Western Australia who came back and spread COVID to Western Australia. Oh, really? Because he, uh, he, and we might get the little flag that says false news has been detected about <laughs> COVID-19. <laughs> Don't talk about COVID. But, um, but he spread, no, 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 but he legit spread, um, his name's Alan um, something, and he okay. spread COVID to, he, he owns like Fortescue Metals or something. Or oh, he's like, oh, yeah. Um, the original, he's like. Really? The CEO at least. Okay. So he um well, very he came back from he came back from Switzerland. He got it from okay. a Russian translator in Switzerland. In Switzerland, okay. Oh, I've heard then this. he came back um, through like Singapore or something. Then yeah. came back yeah. straight back to Australia on his private jet. Yeah, and then said, "Yeah, yeah, no worries. Like, I'll, I'll quarantine. I'll quarantine. Yeah, yeah, that no kind worries. of thing." Yeah, yeah. And then just went and did like his bit, went to work, did what it, did whatever. Yeah, didn't really care about the rules. And really, because he flew in private and got into his private car and. And yes. went straight home, all yes. that kind of thing. Yes. It's like no one was there to stop him from doing that. No. It's like you're kind of trusted to do the right thing if you're a billionaire that's like, you know, that doesn't follow the rules. Anyway, that's, um, that's that story. Exactly right. But back to Afterpay, which I can just, I can cut all that. Was bit. his name Andrew and Forrest? Yes, I think that's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me the actual story. <laughs> okay, I'll just click on it. All right. <laughs> it says, um, mining billionaire Andrew Twiggy Forrest. I don't know what, why it's Twiggy. Oh, yeah, Forrest. Twiggy. Yeah, yeah. That's his. Um, <laughs> is that his like, nickname? Yeah, yeah, because it's like Forrest. Is he Twiggy. says he contracted COVID 19 whilst in Central Asia. <laughs> <laughs> um, whilst in Central Asia, uh, Dr. D- Dr. Wow, Dr. Forrest, um, 60 year old, he's. Doctor. Yeah, he's ordeal in an exclusive interview with Australian Financial Review after spending much of 2020 traveling the globe in pursuit of renewable energy projects. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Much um, of- Foscue Metals Group. Much of 2020 traveling the globe. <laughs> How good is that? Australia's richest man said he caught the disease from a Russian um, interpreter mm. after he joined the Foscue, or 
Fortescue um, travel crew for a four-month tour covering 47 countries. Yeah, there you go. 47 countries. Yeah. It's not just Asia, mate. <laughs> well, maybe the Singapore stopover is where he got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah is that right. what it's implying? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Sorry. Wow, that's really just gone off track, hasn't it? Yeah, well, that was very silly of him. Anyway, so we can cut in that. Um, Afterpay's reported revenue uh, number is up 92% for the two-year period of financial year 19 to 21. Now, that isn't 92% from... um, This is actually... This is a heaps interesting. This is a reported measure. It's compound annual growth rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CAGR. Yeah, yeah. I I, I used that one last week. I think I did. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So it's up from 189 million to 693 million in in revenue, which is pretty cool. So the actual split of the growth is 45% and 99.7%, which is really cool. So yeah, in the last two years, they've just grown massively. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. So um, as I can, I used to talk about Afterpay. We kind of, I think like we were talking about it at a pretty good point and we talked about it and then it kind of went up a lot. Um, well, we never really discussed it. Well, I think we, well, I remember talking about it and we were talking about like, it's interesting to see which um, businesses had the bigger afterpay signs or the bigger zip signs at the front. That's true. But I think we didn't talk about that on the podcast. No, no, no. Sorry. Yeah. yeah I yeah, didn't mean yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. yeah right. Okay. Not on yes. the podcast. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I owned it at one point and yep. then it went like right up and I d- really didn't like believe in the co- company That's true, itself. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a good company. It's awesome that an Australian, some Australians have started it, but like. I didn't even really believe in the concept of like sure. learning people money to buy a t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Like I think yeah. it's not a great idea. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. Like I understand that it's meeting a need potentially, but it's also causing a lot of havoc potentially for people who can't control themselves, which That's is their pro- problem. But uh, yeah, so it could be, could be a little immoral, eh? Well, yeah, just personal. Like, I don't know. Like it's not immoral. It's not unethical um, what they do, but um it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of vulnerable people who can't control themselves. Yeah, that's fair enough. And, um, it, we don't need to provoke the whole like shopaholic mentality. That's all. That's true. All right. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's good. That's Rant. good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Shopify is planning. Square is planning. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Shopify. What? We'll, we'll cut that bit out. Okay. <laughs> We're not looking at that yet. Um, Square is planning to easily integrate Afterpay into its existing merchant accounts. Yeah. Okay. So it currently has two million merchants. Yeah. Uh, which is a little more than 99,000 or 98,000 um, as Afterpay has. Yes. So it's got 2 million merchants yeah, crazy, um, and 210 million buyer profiles. Okay. So it adds this Afterpay function as like a function for those people. Yeah. So the fact that they've got 210 million individuals, whereas yeah. Afterpay has 16 million individuals. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's a huge... Um, 10 million. Yeah. And then and 2 million merchants, wow. which is wild. So yeah, they're it's about... Like 10 Australians. Yeah. So they're about... Um, 20 times bigger in terms of merchants and whatever that is in terms of um, 200 times bigger <laughs> in terms of uh, I tell 20, you a funny story. 20 times bigger in terms of, yeah. I sold all of my Square stock probably like two weeks before yeah. they did uh, What a silly boy. <laughs> no, nah, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't care. Yeah. It's more interesting companies. There are more interesting companies. <laughs> so they're going to be integrating it as, a, as an option in the Cash App, which has 70 oh, yeah. million users. Yeah. Uh, and so the acquisition really makes a lot of sense there. Yes. Um, as well as, especially in the in the existing merchants. Um, Can I say uh, just a random thought that I think to a certain extent, um, Square needed this acquisition um, because, it, like in the last year, maybe even in the last two years, um, their uh, revenue has been so strong from the crypto holdings that they've had in their. Um, I guess in their business. Yeah, right. And so uh, 
from like where I said it, it looked like, well, this, this coming year really wasn't as strong as it has been yeah. in the last, say, two years. And so um, I reckon it might have not really looked great on, on their graphs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so making an acquisition like this to all of a sudden take on all these new customers and take on whatever, I think, uh, was a really smart move for them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So because, want, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Okay. No, no, you, no, yeah. no, that's fine. No, it is. It is a good move. I yeah, think I think so. I think it's it really will integrate in what they've already got. Yeah. Um. So I want to give a little bit more context as well. U.S. banking policy is way behind on technology. Oh, okay. So they all use Cash App and Venmo to make transfers instead of logging into their banking app like we would in Australia. Oh, like um, they can't transfer fast and stuff like that. Yeah, like they can't. They do, don't have pay ID. Yeah, not not that kind of thing. Okay. It's like I don't even know if they can make regular transfers. Like I don't know what they what it, they do. It's for. true. It's, US is very behind. They just yeah. give each other checks. Yeah, they give each they they mail checks like a yeah. lot. Like it's it's yeah. crazy. So they use Cash App and Venmo to interface between different banks. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's not really a thing where you just you can just send someone money easily through yeah. your banking app. Yeah. So it's part of the reason that Square is such a successful neo banking solution. Yes. Um, and why it'll be a good yeah why it'll be a good interface. Yes. My next news story. Okay. because uh, you know we got a, it's a short segment. Is <laughs> come, it come, uh, Well, it's supposed to be twenty minutes. It's supposed to be a short <laughs> segment. <laughs> Maybe go down a bit here. Yeah, yeah, there makes sense. Okay, good. Yeah. I feel like I was sitting up a bit high. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, well, you're always you're always a bit lower than me, and you know you need to. We need to make sure it's leveled out. It's in the contract. So, so we're definitely late to the <laughs> we're definitely late to the party on this one. Which one is it? Uh, Netflix are adding video games to their subscription product. I didn't know that. Oh, uh, there you go. Did I know that? I don't know if I knew that. Who we got? Who is this? <laughs> we have got our <laughs> no, favorite caller on the phone. <laughs> and your question today, caller, is. <laughs> Palantir is a tough one. <laughs> our um, our video is doing quite well on Palantir, but uh, yeah, yes. it's a long term play. I wouldn't suggest <laughs> better than their stock. <laughs> I wouldn't supply. I wouldn't suggest. It's not hard though. All my life savings on it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, we actually had an AMD um, comment before saying okay. that he'd mortgage, he'd refinanced his house. Uh, oh, was that AMD? Yeah, that was AMD. All right. Yeah. He refinanced his house to um, go and also got yeah. a margin loan yep. uh, to go even further in on yep. AMD. Luckily, go. it did go up about 30% I in feel, that week. I feel good. 30%? So I think he did really what? well. So it was going up about 10% a day after, during, look, before. From our video. And after. Yeah, from our video. <laughs> <laughs> before and after earnings call. What do you think about that, caller? Was that you? Oh, my gosh. That's an incredible move. I'm going to go mortgage my house, uh, remortgage my house, and uh, buy some more calls. <laughs> this is not financial advice. Uh, disclaimer there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, All right, Collins, we're going to be saying up. we're going to be saying goodbye to you there, caller. Thank you for your valued time. That's <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. But Netflix video games. It was a great time to right. call in. I don't, I don't think I knew that. So Netflix are adding video games to their subscriptions product offering. Uh, they're going to be doing that. The video games are on the platform. Yeah. So they're going to be doing that uh, mm. like from next year. Okay. And I don't know much more about it. It does sound like a very weird idea. Yeah. But so you could go onto your PlayStation, open the video, the Netflix application and just start playing a random video games. I wonder, I wonder what yeah. they're going to... Are they going to come up with their own? Are they going to license existing games? How are they going to get those licenses? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you think about the way that Netflix started, it was all content that was mm -hmm. someone else's. Yes. So I'm guessing that they'll 
just go, mm-hmm. hey, like this producer, you know, like yeah. this this um, video game maker. Yeah. Hey, like we're gonna pay you this much. Yeah. Will you will you help us do this? And yeah. then I don't even know if they're going to be like using their own like console. Are they using existing consoles? Are they gonna pay yeah. Sony and Microsoft? How do I play these games on my computer? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's very strange. Yeah, it's like you are you going to be using yeah, you're going to be using PlayStation. Are you going to be right. paying Sony? Right. Are you going to be paying yeah. uh, Microsoft to develop um, yeah. you know, something that works better with yeah. you know, I don't know, but interesting. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there. <laughs> My last piece of news is yes. that Robin Hood IPO'd. Um, okay. So it IPO'd on the 29th of July. Okay. Uh, and in its 7 trading days, it has grown 58% from $34.82 to $55 okay. with a current market cap of $45.97 billion. What percent? Sorry, did you say? It's grown, um, it's grown 58%. 58, wow. 58. So it grew okay. over 100% in one day. Yeah. Uh, and it's come back. It's okay. cooled off since then. Yes. But um, that was, was always going to happen. Yeah, it was a rapid, rapid growth. I'm surprised, I'm surprised it hasn't dipped. Like I would have expected it to skyrocket. And then dip right down, like dip back past the yeah. IPO price. So that's interesting yeah. that it's still after seven days up. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, bit of bit of stock strength there. Do you have any uh, news yourself to bring? Yes. Oh, okay. All right, <laughs> hit me. So allegedly, Ark sold all of their Chinese companies. Ah, uh, yes. Over the past week or so, yep. I looked at. So I get the. I get They're an. They're giving into the fear. They're giving into the. Um, right. Yeah. So I get, I get an email from you can sign up online on the um, Arc website and you can get their trading for the day. Yeah. Have right. you seen that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's a couple of days where they're. Selling. There's also a website specifically dedicated yes. to what Arc does. That's right. Uh, which is heaps interesting. That's yeah. right. Someone someone's a real fanboy there. Exactly. And so um, you can see their buys and sells. And so they've been um, selling a lot of the Chinese um, companies over the last week. Um, so for them, like a one per- so you can see the percent of the portfolio that they're selling, and so they've done a one percent um, on two occasions of the JD, oh yeah, uh, whatever company that is. And I think it's just JD. JD, yeah, okay, um, and <coughs> and that's pretty massive. I've, I haven't seen a one percent before. It's usually like less than half a percent, um, much less than half a percent in a single trade of the portfolio. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, of that particular portfolio. So um, pretty uh, drastic measures. From so one percent of the total portfolio value, yeah, yeah, right, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and so there you go. That's interesting. Uh, another one is um, sales, Salesforce officially acquired Slack. Yes, that's been um, a long time coming. We'll, yeah, that's right. And we'll like integrate it into their, um, I guess, their CRM and all of their. Um, so it's going to be trading under CRM. Well, my I don't I don't know. I I listened to a few things on it. Um, my understanding is that it. it it, it, they're going to try and integrate it completely into all of their current software. Yeah. And that Slack, in, in regards to operational, Slack will operate still as they are. Right. Um, as a separate business to a certain extent. Mm. So they're not going to disrupt their workflow. Um, and then the only other one, which is a little more um, Australia-based, is that um, BHP announced like a nickel supply agreement with Tesla. That's right. Which I is kind of cool because it's like, Name the most boring company. <laughs> Name the most interesting company. And the two of them have like made a deal. Gonna offend a lot of people with that one. There's <laughs> a lot of BHP supporters. <laughs> like name the company that all of the Unless you're calling Tesla boring. Yeah. <laughs> who knows which one? Like one of them is like, because it's, it's just interesting. Because like um, at uni, like all of the professors are like um, very pro BHP. Yeah. And yeah. very like 
think that Tesla is just crazy and the valuation and all this, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so the fact that the two of them are making an agreement is just like funny. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A lot of people that were used to work um, really hated Tesla. So. Right. A lot of people yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. lot of traditional financial people, I think. Definitely. Hate yeah. Tesla. Yeah. But the problem Not with BHP... Though. I don't hate Tesla. Well, the problem with BHP is that... Well, the problem with any mining company, yeah. my main issue... Okay. The only way that you can make more money than last year yeah. is digging a bigger hole. It's good. And the only way to dig a bigger hole is to like, go and offend a lot more people yeah. and find a, yeah. something worse yeah. and then get protests against you and then get policymakers yeah. working against you. Yeah. And you, have to, you literally just have to pay pos- like policymakers on the other side even yes. more money exactly to, right. yeah, to continue. It's true. You're just digging a bigger hole both... PR related and physical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not good for the brand. No. So, yes. Very good. I think that's our news. No, that's yeah. it. That's perfect. Oh. <laughs> so, something that's been happening recently and is currently going on is the Olympics. Yeah, that's and right. And so I've heard I forgot about that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's probably not as prominent as it used to be, I think. Tell me what you think, but I think when we were younger, it was more prevalent because that was kind of taken over by, like, every channel was taken over by the Olympics. And, and people no used to watch option. TV as well. Well, yeah, obviously. So, okay, <laughs> the first thing is um, there was no, like, uh, on-demand watching. Mm. So, you just watched whatever was on the schedule on the, t- on the TV. Yeah, and, and then YouTube when wasn't even a thing. And YouTube like, wasn't yeah. really a thing. You could read a book, I suppose, or jump on a trampoline. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, so then once every channel, it felt like, maybe it wasn't, but it felt like almost every channel was taken over by the Olympics. I guess everyone just had to watch it. And so that's all you talked about? Yeah, yeah. Not so much now, though. Um, yes, I think we're still all watching it to a certain extent. I'd, I don't, I can't say I've ever put it on, but my housemates that I live with, they, <laughs> yeah. they watch it. Yeah. And so I'll come out and see some rowing or something. But uh, it's definitely not what it used to be, I don't think. So... Um, and there's also a bit of a stigma around the costs that um, host cities are having to incur yeah. to put this on. So yeah. I, I'll touch on that a little bit in this segment um, because it's it's relevant to us because they also recently just announced that Brisbane in 2032 is going to take the Olympics, the Summer Olympics again. And it was interesting to see some people's responses in regards to some were very sarcastic, negative style responses basically inferring that the, the cost is going to be so great it's not really worthwhile. Some people are pumped with it. Um, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how the Olympics works and then you can come up with your own decision. Oh, okay. My own decision, bull or bear? <laughs> <laughs> On the Olympics. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I should note, this is potentially the first private company that we've di- like we've dived into. Yeah, right. Um, you can all come up with your own decision at home. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a public company. Yeah, um, so the Olympics is a company. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So the company's called International Olympic Committee and it's just a non-profit. Yeah. And it was established in 1894 on the 23rd of June. 1894. In Paris. Um, and it's currently based in, I did practice this, <laughs> it's currently based in <laughs> Here we go. Lausanne, Switzerland. Ah, nice. Um, which is termed the Olympic capital. Um, I guess that's you know, their promotion for tourism. And uh, during World War One, as it's I not, said... It's not Mount Olympus in uh, Greece? No. No, that's right. Interesting. Um, and so during World War One, um, the committee decided to move the headquarters from, fr- from France, where it was originated, um, to Switzerland because it was a neutral ground. Um, and um, during World War One and during World War Two, 
um, I wasn't alive, but apparently the Olympics <laughs> still happened. Yeah. And so even at times where countries are at war, there's also their athletes that are um, challenging each other on the on the field and stuff. That's really interesting. Which is really interesting yeah. psychologically. Um, and so so they built a new headquarters in 2019 in Lausanne, um, and it was to mark the 125th anniversary of um, IOC, which is how I refer to International Olympic Committee. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and it's actually really worth looking into. It's called Olympic House, and um, we might have a little photo of it up here. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> it's a really beautiful building. It's like a you know sustainable green building. It's got um, solar panels all over the top, and it's like kind of like funny. It's like a funny flowing shape, and uh, it's a really beautiful building. It's it's awesome, and so. Um, so basically, uh, the IOC president, who's the top the top dog um, in the organization, is uh, Thomas Buck, and or yep, we'll go with that. And <laughs> <laughs> and he's born in Germany. Um, and so he was actually an Olympic fencing champion in 1976, which seems like a really long time ago, and 2006. And wow, yeah, so big. Big gap between his two championships, and so um, he was in. Uh, he would have been in college during his first um, run at the Olympics in 1976, and then obviously he's a bit older um, in 2006. But I guess fencing is a different vibe. You can probably be a bit older for that. A bit like shooting, not quite like shooting, but similar. I've still got to be relatively athletic, I guess. I think you do have to be. A lot in, of technique, maybe. Yeah, uh, probably a lot of technique. Probably not a lot of people who want to do fencing. So you <laughs> <laughs> fencing has an advantage because he can, he can. Maybe there was no one else. Do <laughs> 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 you ever think that the sports like that? Like there's some Definitely. random sports. I wish I should have actually looked up some interesting um, Olympic sports. Um, but there are some sports that you wouldn't even know the name of, and yet there are people who are like champions in those sports yeah yeah it's like mm, you're only a no there's a chance that <laughs> you're not that someone good. else is probably better at that sport but they just didn't know it existed they just didn't they weren't bothered to <laughs> to sign up <laughs> that's all i'm saying <laughs> something interesting about the um if if i can interrupt you no, um something interesting the climbing was in the olympics for the first time climbing yes uh this year that's and right. they have three separate events but only one gold medal so there are three different kind of disciplines. There's like climbing with a line, bouldering, yeah. um, which is just like free or whatever, and mm -hmm. then speed. And they made the gold medal event like speed climbing, mm -hmm. but they probably should oh. have had three separate Oh, so they gold still medals. had the three disciplines, Yeah, but they yeah. only allocated the gold medal to one of them. Yes, that's right. Oh. So for the final... Was everyone in all of them? Yeah, so oh. the, the people that... I think that the people that succeeded in all three... Yeah. And got through all the like final things or whatever. Yeah. Had to compete in speed climbing oh, to get the gold medal. And hopefully they were good at speed climbing. Yeah, and so it's yeah. it was a little rough for the people that are really good at bouldering and not good at speed climbing. Uh, here's an interesting sport: skateboarding. Have you ever heard of a modern <laughs> pentathlon? A modern pentathlon is that five things? Uh, yep. So it's five different events. First one's fencing. And the next one's freestyle swimming, 200 meters. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? 200. <laughs> 200 okay. meters. The next one, which is like four laps of a 50 meter pool. Um, and then the next one is equestrian show jumping, <laughs> 15 jumps. <laughs> equestrian, like on the horse. Yeah. yeah. And then the next one is a, is a combined event of pistol shooting and cross country running, 300, uh, 3.2 kilometers. So, all right, here's what I reckon you do. You <laughs> get someone. crazy. You get someone who's good at swimming and running. Okay. Right? Yeah. And then you just 
you can just spend three years saying like, hey, just like master your your thing, okay. swimming and running kind of thing. Swimming and running, yeah. And then spend a couple of months. All right, here's a here's a gun. Yes. Right, yeah, here's yeah. a horse. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> the time allocation like, is probably about that, right? Yeah. Um. And then fencing is, you know, and it's like, I don't know, that that'd be fun, you know. That's interesting. I it's like I wonder which ones you're they're. If anyone who's who's won, yeah, I wonder if they're really bad at fencing, yeah, and really bad at equestrian, and really good at swimming, well, running, and work? shooting. If you get stabbed in fencing, do you not get to compete in the other ones? Uh, is it, or do you get a time disadvantage? Do you have to be the best in the first event, yeah, and then gradually be worse? And it doesn't know. matter because as long as you're the last one standing in the free run at the end, you know, exactly. <laughs> well, you don't actually kill each other in fencing, so it's like, yeah, that's interesting concept. I guess the idea of it is. Like all of these disciplines, fencing, swimming, jumping, probably not so much swimming, but pistol shooting. I guess it's all like, I guess like if you're a warrior, yeah, these yeah. are the things you need to be good at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I guess these people are like the ultimate warrior humans or something. Yeah. Anyway. It's like CrossFit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I suppose. But with more random things. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, uh, so Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so um, he was uh, so okay. Thomas Buck he studied law and politics, so he's currently the IOC president. And as I just mentioned um, at the very start of this segment, um, it's a non-for-profit, independent, international organization, and they're entirely privately funded. Um, and they distribute. This is interesting. They distribute ninety percent of their revenue um, to wider sporting movements. So they have a bunch of smaller. Um, organizations that they distribute their um, reven- 90% of their revenues to. So they basically can operate on 10% of their revenue. Pretty um, interesting. Which is interesting. Um, very uh, lightweight. Very. Well, yeah, I guess. Um, well, I think, yeah, I think the heavy lifting is done by the host country. Mm, that's true. And so yeah. they basically sign the contracts, get a, I don't know how, well, actually I'll show you how they get their revenue. So IOC, this is, this is mainly how they get the revenue. So it's split up into four different segments. Um, IOC um, versus the country's, uh, the host country's percentage of the TV revenue. So um, in the 90s, the IOC took 4% of the total revenue generated from all of the TV stuff. Um, excuse me. But by 2016, and it's similar now, um, IOC now takes 70%. 70. Wow. Yeah. So it leaves 30% for the host country, which kind of, um, is, is that's the, I think that's the main, um, issue that then leads to these budget problems that the host country are having. Um, cause they spend a huge amount. They and spend then, a huge amount of money and they're not really getting enough revenue return. Especially with no travel to Japan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Without the tourism and stuff. Yeah. Um, injection, it's, it's going to be pretty difficult. Um, so, uh, so seventy three so of the total revenue um, received by IOC, seventy three percent of it is the broadcasting rights that I just mentioned. Nineteen um, percent of it is um, like some marketing rights and stuff that they do. Yeah. Um, and then five percent is other revenues, and four percent is other rights. I guess the rights to use their likeness and you know their rings and blah blah blah. So. Um, as I said, 10% of that goes to the operations, paying salaries, um, you know, keeping this um, Olympic house going, all of those things. And then the other 90% goes to um, Olympic Games and athlete development is what they say. So goes to funding whatever they deem necessarily to, uh, necessary to develop um, upcoming athletes and stuff. So that could be – I know they invest a lot of that money into the youth 
um, Olympics games and stuff, which doesn't really generate a lot of revenue, but is definitely a stepping stone to the actual revenue generator being the Summer Olympics. Worth noting at this point that there is also Winter Olympics that I won't be focusing <laughs> yes. on that much. Yeah. Um, because it... Because no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, people care. People care. People care. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, so people that like skiing or something. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I didn't watch it. <laughs> that is, I think that is in it. Um, <laughs> so the the Olympics is held. Do you know how many days the Olympics is held over? Forty-five. No, forty-five. I don't know how many. What? <laughs> what are you tell me? I don't know. I, I guess that that was a guess. <laughs> but you've seen the Olympics I'm before. Slammed, slammed it's not for like guessing. You've never seen it. <laughs> It's on right now. Yeah, I know it's on right now. 30. It's not on for like a month. 20. No, not 16. 16, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have been so judgmental, but that was a funny Never guess. guessing anything. <laughs> 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 um, and so they require generally over about 35 different venues required in the, in the host city to provide. So um, of recent builds, the village that they need to build usually costs about $3 billion. I'll go in a little bit more depth in a minute as to what they require for that. I'll do a little bit of a deep dive on Tokyo. Um, they are required to hold, which usually means building a media TV facility, which usually has a cost of around a billion dollars, which is pretty hectic. Um, they also need to additionally build a media village, um, green spaces, uh, the ceremony space. Uh, they need to have adequate transfer, uh, transportation amongst the venues. And so that often means building metros and like pretty su substantial things. Um, and one interesting point is they're required to have special lanes or special specific access for IOC executives. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? Um, and Must be nice. And so that's why it kind of requires 10 years of planning. Yeah. So it's 10 years is in their plan. So... Um, uh, yep. So there's a guy named... So Brisbane got 11 to think about it. Uh, more than that, right? What did you say? 2032? What year are we in? It's 2021. 2021. No, you're right. Um, and so Andrew um, Zimbalist. Is I think, he the guy? Is he I, the... I think it's his name. Andrew Zimbalist. Um, he is a uh, economics professor and he just studies the Olympics. And so <laughs> if you watch... Uh, if you, I'd say if you watch 75% of any Olympics videos on the logistics or financial side of the Olympics, um, he'll pop up at some point talking about the economics of the Olympics. Well, he's got to get paid for something. Well, yeah. I don't know how he monetizes <laughs> it, but yeah, um, yeah. he's got a couple of books. Yeah. Um, one of them's called Rio 2019, Olympic Myths, Hard Realities. <laughs> and so he's a bit, I think he's a bit critical of the economics related to the Olympics, rightfully so. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he, he just seems to be right amongst it and that's his niche, which is a funny niche, but, um, I guess it works for him. He gets a bit of screen time. Um, so the history, um, of the Olympics quite simply is, uh, in 1896, uh, was the start of the first really international games of the Olympics. And, uh, that's back when they, like, you couldn't have women. You're not going to go back to... No, no. So not going back to like ancient Greek. Zero BC. No. <laughs> just starting with like the first international style Olympic Games that, okay. we, that we The now modern know. Olympics. Right. Yep. The modern Olympics. Let's call it that. Um, under the IOC, um, I guess, management. Um, and so there was no women at that point. Um, in 1936, um, the Berlin was the first to actually broadcast the Olympics and for it to start to be tailored towards TV viewing as opposed to live audience. 
but that was only 50 viewers, uh, sorry, 50,000 viewers in a nearby stadium that they were um, broadcasting to. 1948 in London, uh, there's 50,000 viewers in just a 125-mile radius around the city. Uh, so get local broadcast. Uh, and then 1960 in Rome was the first international broadcast. So 1960, uh, finally reaching millions of people. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the only time when they really could do that. Though, exactly right. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. And so uh, 1968 in Mexico City saw 17% of the world um, having access to it, which <laughs> uh, was about 6 million people at that's that crazy. point. That's crazy, yeah. Um, to put that in perspective, we now, in the opening ceremony uh, this year for uh, Tokyo, we had uh, uh, just under 17 million people um, watching it. Yeah. Which is a lot. Um, and 1976 in Montreal um, uh, was really the start of things getting worse. Because at that point, um, I guess, uh, hosting cities are seeing the notoriety and seeing uh, the ability to make your city look better than everybody else's. And so um, cities are investing huge amounts of money in basically playing the who looks better game. Yeah, yeah. And so um, their budget... In Montreal in 1976 um, was overrun or um, over budget by 10x. So <laughs> yeah, wow. uh, approximately. So um, the original budget was 120 million dollars, and they ended up spe- uh, spending um, 100. Uh, sorry, 1.5 billion, um, which is pretty crazy. Um, and so uh, it wasn't. So that was in 1976. It wasn't until um, 2006, 30 years later that that was finally paid off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a few, for a few factors. Uh, they say it's because of increased steel costs. Uh, they had a bunch of workers strike, stuff like that. Um, yeah. But one thing that came out of it was the Montreal um, metro system, which they think um, brought a bit of a return back to the See, city. So it's good. It's, it can be good for, yeah. Yeah, so there's some good elements. We can't be too critical. Um, so then 1984 in LA... Um, they had it in LA because um, it had been a, a couple of years now. Uh, so they'd done 1976. I don't know what they did in 1980. And then in 1984, um, now countries are, uh, sorry, now cities are seeing that, well, it's got this bad reputation of just making cities broke, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so no one wanted to bid for it. And so in 1984, LA took it yeah. um, because no one wanted to host. And because LA was already so well structured, um, Sorry, because they were already so well structured in regards to facilities in the city and transportation and stuff like that, um, they actually, from the budget, had a surplus of two hundred fifty million dollars, um, and so um, they didn't really have to do that much building and stuff like that. And so they basically pr- were proving the point that n- it doesn't actually have to be a money pit for yeah, cities. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're in nineteen eighty four there. Since nineteen eighty, to cover that in between period, the overrun average has been about two hundred and fifty percent. Okay. So it really hasn't gotten any better. So no one's good at budgeting. Is what no. That says. So uh, I've got like <laughs> a, a little graph here that we can pop in, a little um, uh, column graph. And so Beijing, for example, in 2008. Oh, you're right. Atlanta, 1996. Yeah. Uh, Beijing in 2008, their budget was, yeah, well done. Their Thank budget you. was about uh, $16 billion and they spent in the vicinity of $45 billion. London uh, budget was about $5 billion and they spent approximately $16, $17 billion. Uh, and so, um, and in the Winter Olympics, um, Sochi, um, their budget was uh, t- about ten and a half billion, and they ended up spending fifty-one billion. Is that the um, is that the one in Russia in the Black Sea? 
Yes, that's right. Hey. Um, and yes, that's right. Uh, it's a Russian city on the Black Sea. The problem with that was... That was a controversial one because I think at the time um, Vladimir Putin was invading, was looking to invade oh. Ukraine or something. Really? And everyone's like, oh, no, don't. You know, don't go to Sochi like it's wow. you're supporting yeah, so, someone yeah, who okay. is invading someone else. Not um not sorry, Crimea, I think. And and the interesting thing about the Winter Olympics, the reason why that cost is so great, which is the the highest cost we've ever seen at any games, is because they had to pull down all of the trees on mountains <laughs> and put in like you know, like ski <laughs> yeah. infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. Could have it? done it somewhere where there already was a ski slope. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Let's deforest this whole mountain. <laughs> so it brings up some environmental issues yeah, as well. Um, and so um, I've got a little bit another bar graph here, a column graph showing uh, the the bids put in from um, host cities over time from 2002 to 2024. And so 2002, we had nine bids, 2004, 11. Uh, 2012, we'll skip to, there's nine again. 2016, down to seven. 2018 down to three and then 2022 2024 obviously we're talking winter and summer here yeah um one and one so wow the trend is trending down in regards to no interested cities who will want to bid again yeah which is similar to what we were talking about um, in the 80s yeah back in yeah. the 80s in la and so the ioc um in 2014 to basically try to mitigate this um uh, they did two things. So as they were seeing, there wasn't a lot of interest in 2004, 2028. So 2024, 2028, uh, Summer Olympics, is, there wasn't a lot of bid interest. Um, they basically allocated them straight away to Paris and LA. Okay. So um, 2024 is Paris and 2028 is LA. Yeah. So I think they're trying to implement the same strategy in the 80s that they did with LA. So they want to prove that in 2028, LA can host it and really not have to build much infrastructure and see it be more of a profitable endeavor to then, I think, try and bolster some more interest again and increase the bids for future years. So uh, the second thing was they've they've created an agenda. So in 2014, they released a, a 2020 agenda, like kind of like a goals for 2020, 2020 yeah, right. vision, whatever. And so it was 40 actions to shape the future of the Olympics. And three of them that are relevant um, to this is um, the first one was they want to evaluate bid cities by assessing key opportunities and risks. The second one is reduce the cost of bidding. So the situations where, for example, in 2016 um, for the Rio Summer Olympics, which was um, the last ones, um, Tokyo spent $150 million just in c consultation firms, city planning, event organizing, just to try and win the bid. And yeah, then they okay. didn't even win it. Yeah, right. Okay. So they try and um, reduce that cost. Um, and then the, the other one was um, including sustainability in all aspects of the Olympic Games. So uh, the Olympic house that they've built is sustainability green focused. And they want to try and build the brand more towards that now. And that's why they got cardboard beds. Well, I don't <laughs> know if that was the reason. <laughs> uh, well, you still have to chop trees down. I don't see how that's sustainable. Anyway. No, you just take the bark off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how cardboard's made? <laughs> um, and so uh, that brings us to the Rio Games, which I'll talk about super quickly. Um, so as I said, Tokyo spent $150 million and they didn't win it. Uh, the budget that Rio set once getting uh, the Games was $2.8 The actual cost was $20 billion. Um, And so some of the costs were $2 billion towards um, sports-related venues, as you'd expect. 
Um, and that's sports-specific venues that really didn't see any future value to the city. Um, some of that might have been building um, specific infrastructure that was then t- torn down or whatever. Um, $8 billion towards legacy builds. So that's things like highways, a renovation of the port, which is $4.2 billion, the cleaning of the base, a subway line that they put in, which is $3 billion, and uh, 40,000 hotel rooms of accommodation that was required. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they, sorry, they required 40,000 and they had to construct 15,000 more because they only had um, 25,000 or whatever. And so um, the, um, the intention after the games was to use these as luxury apartments, but still to this day, most of them are still vacant and it, they actually cost the city $14 million a year to upkeep. All oh, right. Um, yeah. And so um, that's a big fail there, really. Yeah. The stadium, for example, um, that they use called um, Soccer uh, Maracana Stadium, uh, which is in Rio, um, they had the power cut in 2017 <laughs> uh, due to unpaid bills for over yeah, two right. months um, before then reopening. So it kind of paints a bit of a picture of these cities building this um, infrastructure that they really can't handle, they can't yeah. pay for, yeah. maintenance-wise even in the future. Well, um, a lot of them are run down if you, um, yeah. if you ever see any pictures. No, there's yeah. a piece of terrible videos of all these run-down stadiums and stuff. It, exactly right. And so um, in response to this, um, the Olympic Games executive director, whose name's Christoph Juby, um, he says that um, a lot of host cities often go over and above um, the requirements that we set towards the Games to attract future tourism and to create jobs and stuff like that. And he says that now they've realized that, um, now they're working with the host city to decide upon what makes sense and uh, with the intention of not being able to be accused of um, future problems, creating future problems. And so they're really aware of that now. And so um, just in finishing, I thought I'd just quickly discuss the 2020 games that recently happened. So the bidding process um, saw um, the US place the first bid um, Tokyo then put in their bid, all, as did Madrid, um, Istanbul, Baku, and Doha. Um, and uh, it was a two-year evaluation process, which cut into the 10-year time. So they ended up only having somewhere around seven years to plan um, the Tokyo Olympics. They ended up having an additional year. but um, Yeah, true. <laughs> so it's this really cool document, which you can go on online and look at if anyone's really interested, because there's more in it than I've taken out. But there's a thing called host city contract operational requirements, which is literally like this long 273 page PDF, which is the document that's given to Tokyo to put on the Olympics. Okay. And I'll give you some things in it because it's really interesting. Okay. All right. Um, Cause the idea is they want to, the Olympics needs to be to a certain, to a certain standard and it needs to be um, consistent across years. That's the two main objectives um, of this document. And so um, uh, here's some things that it outlines. So uh, <laughs> um, there needs to be, so for this Tokyo Olympics, some of the stipulations were there needs to be weather stations to be installed at least three years prior <laughs> to inform the IOC of weather patterns in creation of their schedule. <laughs> yeah. So that needs to, then stations need to be uh, located anywhere near any of the facilities that they're going to do the venues, like the venues that they're going to have sporting arrangements in. Yep. So if they're, you know, doing surfing down at the beach or whatever, they need to have a station there, blah, blah, um, uh, needs to be 16 days. Uh, the accommodation for this particular year required 41,000, one, th- uh, sorry, 41,177 hotel rooms just for the individuals associated with the games, which doesn't include athletes. Yeah. Okay. To put that in perspective, 
Um, that's almost half all the, uh, of all the hotel rooms in Tokyo. And Sydney has about 20,000 okay. hotel rooms yeah. available. So that kind of paints a bit of perspective for you. So to solve that problem, because they're obviously assuming to have all the tourists there, they, um, they had this plan to dock all these cruise ships in the harbour and use them as like uh, as hotel additional rooms. hotel yeah, rooms um, yeah. for like tourists and stuff like that. Yeah. Obviously, they didn't need that. Yeah. Um, and so the Olympic Village is a really interesting one. So they stipulate a lot of things with that. So the Olympic Village has to be within 30 kilometers or a 60-minute drive of every venue. Wow, okay. So what that means is uh, if you have a venue... That's <laughs> you could put it a really long way away and put a super highway to every... Yes, or you need to, <laughs> or you you need to build a second Olympic Village. Yeah, wow. So you need to have them all within thirty kilometers or sixty minutes, or you need to build another village. And there's instances. I think it was again in that Winter Olympics in, uh, wherever that was, or that wherever I said it was, Sochi. Sochi. Yeah. Um. Uh. Obviously, Winter Olympics. You're up on, you know, up in the ski fields, and then you're down here doing this in an ice rink or whatever. Yeah. And so they did have to build multiple Olympic, um, villages, wow. which is obviously pretty costly. Yeah, that's which crazy. Added to the cost, but for no, this no grace for uh, any further travel. You know, no. It's like you you train for four years, you can't sit in a car for forty five <laughs> minutes. You know, like. <laughs> um, uh, and so it must accommodate for this particular Tokyo Olympics. They calculated sixteen um, thousand people. Um, so I assume that's sixteen thousand athletes, approximately. Um, and the bedroom sizes, for example, have to be nine by nine meters, <laughs> and a double double. Um, bedroom has to be 12 by 12 meters at least in the Olympic village. It must have an Olympic merchandise store, must have a bank, <laughs> must have a photo store, must have a hair salon, a florist, a dry cleaning uh, service, a travel agent, a post office, and a designated place of mourning. <laughs> what if someone's going to die in there? <laughs> well, actually, now that you mentioned that, okay. I didn't write this down, but okay. there's also... A, there's also a contractual agreement um, in the insurance section of the um, document and it goes through all the insurances that are required to be um, undertaken by uh, the host city. And uh, one of them is that if, if someone is, they must have an insurance that covers up to, sorry, that covers minimum of $80,000 USD payout to anyone who dies or has more than 59, sorry, that has more than 59% uh, disablement from <laughs> an event that occurs whilst they're participating in the Olympic Games. 59% disablement. <laughs> Anything below 59% and the the payout is prorated um, according to that. Wow. So uh, I was talking to someone today about that. And they said, well, they mentioned an athlete who tore their, like, some ligament down in their oh, foot. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's got to be, like, a 2% disabled. And I said, well, yeah, if they're 2% disabled, they're going to get some sort of payout because yeah. they would have had an insurance policy related to that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that also, on the document, includes terrorism. Yeah, wow. Um, so it's good that they got that covered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so McDonald's. So McDonald's are a major sponsor of the Olympics. Because we all know everything McDonald's is very healthy. And yes. Olympians eat that a lot of the time. Yes. And so um, McDonald's set up, and again, you can find it if you look in the cafeteria section of this document, there's a space which is very ambiguously left blank, which <laughs> says, it says McDonald's on it, but it doesn't have any details. And so they set up a McDonald's, they set up a temporary McDonald's in the village. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like a normal McDonald's. They have all the menu, but they have no prices. 
And the idea is that the fact of having the McDonald's there and having athletes eat McDonald's is enough of a promotion to bring enough value for them to do that. And so that's a recurring thing that happens every every time they do it, every four years. Which is interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing... Uh, Another thing that I think is interesting is, um, so they do that because um, it's good PR for McDonald's. So it's worth their while to go in and do that, um, which I think is really interesting. Um, But so uh, in uh, Italy, for example, they did um, some Olympics and they created, um, they built an Olympic village. And right now it's derelict and there's, um, just squatters inhabiting it. Yeah. But in Sydney, I don't know if you've ever seen, have you seen the Olympic Village in Sydney? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the Olympic Village in Sydney is just like a neighborhood. They've just made it into, um, they've made it into residential yeah. houses. Yeah. People just live in it. Yeah. Um, which is good, which is what you want. Like, it's perfect. It's yeah. what every other country should have done. Yeah. I think attempted maybe to do. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I was, I was there probably a year ago and I had to pick up like a, I had a, I don't know, pick up an organ that someone had bought and I had to help them pick it up in Sydney. And so, yeah, I was in, you know, one of the little Olympic village houses and I was lifting an organ down the stairs. Yeah. Um, which is random. Yeah. Um, but just the last thing on McDonald's, I was looking at, at the accommodation requirements. So they sent through all the requirements of the accommodation uh, hotel room bookings for all of the staff, as I said, all 41,000 of them. And there's this one section, I should have written this down as well, but this is one section which says... Um, it says something about top um, top major sponsors or something, and then the category is hospitality, and it's the only. It says hospitality, and then it says like executive directors or something is like the three um, dot points, and um, it's the only people group in the whole accommodation list that have to have five star accommodation. Even the the president right. of the IOC only requires four to five star accommodation. <laughs> yeah, right. And so <laughs> if you can read between the lines, one of the major sponsors of the Olympics is McDonald's. Yeah. And they're a hospitality company. Right. My assumption is that they only s- stay in five star hotels. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the only group of people that are stipulated on the document that must have five star, not four to five star. Uh, so, so yeah, the McDonald's workers have to, um, yeah, well, have not to the McDonald's workers, <laughs> <laughs> the McDonald's executives. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, in Tokyo, there's three categories of venues. They did temporary venues. They used existing venues and they constructed some new venues. So of temporary venues, they did stuff like canoeing, climbing, um, beach volleyball and sailing. They just set up a bunch of infrastructure and they tear it all down. Yeah. Uh, for table tennis, they use existing venues and, um, for swimming and diving, they constructed a new aquatic center. Um, but for them to do that nowadays, the Olympic committee have to, um, publish a detailed post games plan to prove that the construction of this building is actually going to bring value to the, uh, location or community. Yeah. Cause of all the, the all future. the failed, yeah, because of all before. The, the previous fails. Um, so, uh, this is interesting, I think. So there's 42 venues that we use for the Tokyo Olympics. Um, every venue must have the Olympic flag flying conspicuously at the front. Yes. Um, there must be full power backup um, for every venue for security and media reasons. Um, the lighting in the venue must be split 50-50 between two different power sources so that if one goes down, the games can still continue. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And and then all of the specifics about the actual setup of each sport 
is mandated by the International Federation for each sport. So, like, you know, International Federation for um, Canoeing or whatever will mandate... They'll have their own documents saying, you know, we need 230 metres, blah, blah, blah. It needs to be 60 metres wide, you know. Yeah. And so they have to comply with that when they're building um, the venues. Um, and then... So the, the last main thing, which I think you'll find particularly interesting is the International Broadcast Centre. So this needs to be created or built in every city. And uh, the Olympics uh, Committee um, have created a separate entity, which is called the Olympics Broadcasting Service, which in short is OBS. And it was established in 2008. And they're the host broadcaster for all games. So um, there's no cameras from other broadcasters. They're the only people who have cameras and mics and stuff like that. Um, in the actual venues and OBS is responsible for each um, event and they produce um, content that every other broadcaster uses, NBC, you know, ABC, Channel 9, whatever. They use the content created by OBS. Um, and so broadcasters may be at the events and they may talk over the feeds, but they don't have control over the feeds. Yeah, okay. So basically, right. they get piped. And so that's why we were watching... The like a couple of weeks ago, yeah. we were watching the ping pong, but okay. it was just this super wide yes, shot of right. just the stadium. Yeah. And that's all I guess they that's had. all whatever, whatever we were watching. What was that? Yeah. Channel was, 7 or something? Yeah. And it was table tennis, but that's it was just a given. blank. It was just a blank. Um, yeah. It was just a very wide shot. Yeah. With no games actually happening. Yeah. And just people walking around yeah. for, I don't know, two hours. They just had... That just as a stream. Yeah, I, that's right. I remember yeah. that. And so um, OBS is an independent company. There's 166 employees, but during the games, they employ 8,100 people. Obviously not enough people to <laughs> zoom in on yeah. a game. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the event, there's usually around 6,000 journalists. Um, and their aim for the Tokyo Olympics was to create 9,500 hours of content, which is more than they've ever created. Yes. Um, they use uh, 1,050 cameras and 3,600 mics. And did you see their TikTok account too? Do they? Yeah. I didn't know that. It's very, it's, yeah, it's funny. So each individual venue of the 42, um, the cameras are cut individually in the venue. So let's say we're doing ping pong, or table tennis, sorry, and there's <laughs> three cameras. They're all cut in the venue. So there's a team in the venue that produce it and cut it there, direct yep. it. Yep. And then that feed is then sent back to the International Broadcast Center. In the International Broadcast Center, they create um, up to, for this Tokyo Olympics, they created up to 64 different feeds for the different companies and broadcasters and countries and stuff from that, um, which then goes back to the individual broadcaster, say it's NBC, and then they have their commentators there that are commentating over top of their feed that they've been given. Um, and so, um, another way that they, well, the main way that they create revenue for OBS is they rent out space to broadcasters in the international broadcast center. So they stipulate the IOC stipulates that, um, the international broadcast center needs to have this requirements, needs to be this big, this many rooms, blah, blah, blah. And then the OBS, which is the Olympic Broadcast Services, the company, the independent company, um, they rent out office space for all of these six thousand um, people. So, like Channel Seven or whatever would go and set up in there. Exactly. And yeah. And so here's some interesting costs that I think you'll find interesting. If you'd like your own private office in the OBS space, uh, which is twenty five meters square, uh, it's going to cost you five thousand USD. Yeah. Which isn't too bad for the full duration of the game. 5,000 bucks. Like if you're, you know, Channel 7, that's nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you want two 
wall plugs to plug your stuff in. <laughs> extra extra $800. <laughs> they get you on the extras. If you want high-speed internet connection, which you obviously would, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, $19,000. You can't commentate if you don't have high-speed internet. If you want um, uh, some radios. <laughs> they get an empty room for $5,000. Yeah, you do. <laughs> $400. If you want a folding table. Sixty-seven dollars. If you want a mic, this is all in the document. If you want a microwave, hundred dollars. If you want an electric kettle, twenty-five dollars. And if you want real-time results, ten thousand dollars. <laughs> real-time results. <laughs> well, of course you want real-time results. We're gonna put it on the. We're gonna put it on our news channel two days late. <laughs> Who won? We don't know. We didn't pay the ten thousand. That's all we can afford. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, they really get you on the extras. They do. Yeah. So the initial budget for Tokyo was uh, $7.3 billion. The estimated cost is $30 billion. The cost of delay is estimated to be $2.8 billion. Because they've it, delayed it for a whole... Did they delay it for a whole year? Yeah, I think yeah. approximately a year. I'm not sure yeah. the actual date. And um, additional $1 billion cost for the COVID-19 measures required, giving out masks, all the signage, all that kind of stuff. Makes sense. Um and so the last one is basically just to say that in 2032, the Brisbane uh, Summer Olympics um, are going to happen. So Brisbane's got the Summer Olympics in 2032 is yep. what I should have said. Yep. And the other bidders for that was also Germany in India and they lost. Wow. Um, so Australia, yep. let's go. There you go. Yeah. So Olympics. Uh, let's go. Let's it's, go to Brisbane. It's definitely not a buy from me. It's definitely not. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit a bit speculative. <laughs> um, I'll be I'll be watching it. It was nice to do something different though. It's cool to have just different random like things. Like we can just talk about random yeah. things that aren't companies or or yeah. cars. So I'm, it's good. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. No, it was good. It was so a nice little change. That's the Olympics. That is the Olympics. So we're gonna move on to um, this is this is a fun little segment. Okay, great. Um, so I'm gonna be doing about time. I'm going to be doing, uh, it's actually my fifth, it's my fifth largest holding. Uh, I thought, okay. I think at the time when I was doing the last one, my last one was also my fifth largest holding. Uh, but I, then I said, what did you do last time? Palantir. Palantir was your fifth largest. Now this is your fifth largest. Now this is my fifth largest. I think it's... Oh, because th- Palantir went down so much. <laughs> well, let's not talk <laughs> about that. That's <laughs> funny. So we're going to be doing Shopify. Okay. And um, you know me, Nathan. I like to start with a little founder story. So um, yes. so yes. this one's good. I was actually... I actually went back to the old um, Guy Raz. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and, did, he um, did the interview, right? Yeah, so I was yeah, actually listening to it on the way here. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was, it was good stuff. So yeah, Toby Toby Lutke is the founder, and he's a German guy. What's his last name? Lutke. Oh, is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Lutke Lutke <laughs> Palahepatitis. <laughs> Little inside joke about Chamath. I'm pretty sure Chamath doesn't have an S on the end of his name. <laughs> All right. Well, you pronounce his last name. <laughs> Just pal- no, it's Palahepatia. Palahepatia. <laughs> yep, I knew that. <laughs> But I've definitely been saying how you just said it every yes. time. Yeah, well, I've been listening to you. Exactly. <laughs> and has a, as everyone else. So probably everyone's calling him that now. Probably, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so anyway, he... Um, yeah, back to the Back to the little founder back story. So Tobias Lutke, um, or to, oh, Toby. Toby, um, yeah. Toby L, we can say. As we call him. He, <laughs> good old Toby L. <laughs> um, so he met, his, uh, he met his Canadian wife on a ski trip um, okay. on a ski field uh, in Canada. Okay, where did he, where did he meet his other wives? <laughs> well, because <laughs> I said Canadian wife, yeah. right? Okay, 
All right. Well, I think that's his only wife. Okay. Uh, and um, as far as I know, okay. you know, I don't, I don't know him personally. Is he Canadian? He is German. Oh, so oh, you said that, didn't you? Yeah. So yeah, he's so German, and he met his Canadian wife on the um, gotcha. ski field. Yeah. So it's actually it's pretty interesting. Uh, they actually ended up keeping in touch. She mm-hmm. finished her bachelor's degree. Okay. Moved to Germany yep. and stayed with him for oh, ten months. Wow. Then she had to. She was like, "All right, well, I'm going to go back to to Canada. Yeah. And I'm going to do my master's degree. Okay." Do you want to come with me? Okay. And um and so he was just like, "Yep, sure, yeah." yeah. So he actually worked for a German company, okay, called Siemens. Um, Perfect. Nothing strange um, about that name. Nothing strange about that name at all. And um and so he was he was um <laughs> like I don't know nineteen something like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he was quickly finding that like he wasn't really into the the uh, the corporate life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. his yeah, yeah, okay. his team was very. So he was solving software problems all day. Yep. And he was finding that the flow of the software problems and the and the uniqueness of all of the issues yep. were like were really making him um you know engaged. Oh, okay. So he yeah, was yeah. able to really um get something out of that. Okay. And he also found that his boss and like his team mm-hmm. they didn't wear they they worked in the basement. They didn't wear suits. Oh, they were very okay. loose. A bit casual. Uh, as despite corporate despite company policy which said you had to wear a suit oh, and cool. like okay. all this kind of thing yeah that's cool so he really liked that you he fit liked in with the, that. yeah so he liked that okay and um he was also diagnosed with ADD mm-hmm. so he's like that kind of personality where yeah. he doesn't really want to follow the rules okay so yeah he was um he was over in a in a ski um on a ski trip on a holiday yep. and then she moved to Germany he ended up moving to Canada yeah living uh in her parents house and they, moved, um, they both moved back to Canada. They both moved back to Canada. In, in her parents' house. Yeah, in her parents' house. Okay. Yeah. And, um, gotcha. and so he was in the process of getting his permanent residency. That's a funny thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. And so he's, they were okay. talking about how it's like, oh, yeah, this, this, is, this is a bit weird. And then yeah. he was just like, yeah, like I couldn't live with anyone else's parents, but yeah. these people were like really, oh, okay. really good to live with. Canadians are very polite. Yeah. And so he was saying that it was like and a really... Germans aren't notoriously polite. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, not that I like Germans though. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to be straightforward. You know, you're a very That's straightforward. Right. I like that about yeah. Germans. You're very straightforward. You know person. what they think. You definitely know what they're thinking. <laughs> um, so yeah, he was in the process of getting his permanent residency and he wasn't able to get a job. Yeah. But he was uh, yes. able to start a business. Okay. Um, so he could oh, either. That's a strange loophole. Yeah. So he could either, he could either work for a German company remotely. Right. Which is what he'd done before. Yeah. Or, and like they were open to doing remote, all that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, which in in two thousand and two ish very progressive is very progressive for yeah. them, uh, and it was literally I think he'd done he said that he'd done remote before, yeah. but it was all um, it was too hard because there were there was only email like there's yeah. no Slack no. there's no, no Microsoft no. Teams no. Um, it's literally just emails yep. no video calls that no. kind of thing that's right so yeah it's it's a lot of trust as well yeah but um but yeah he said he didn't he didn't really like working remotely for someone else's business mm-hmm. uh, and he wasn't able to get a job. But he was his lawyer said, "Hey, but you can start another business. If, wow. You can start a business if you want to." Okay. So yeah. that's what he decided to do. Awesome. So he got really into snowboarding. Yes. Uh, really, uh, really liked the. Um, yes. So instead of he he thought instead of like skiing, I'm going to try just snowboarding for this whole trip that okay. I'm doing here. Um, and yeah, ended up getting really into snowboarding. Right. So in 2004, he launched. Have you ever snowboarded? I haven't ever snowboarded. Have you ever skied? I have skied. Yeah. Ah, okay. What you about you? Try snowboarding. Yeah, I'd love to give it a go. I have both skied and snowboarded. What did you like more? Uh, I think I like skiing, but I don't really like either. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you don't. You don't have to like 
being in the snow. Like, you know, it's it's no. a certain people really, really love it. Yes. So like you can tell if you don't <laughs> if you don't really like it, then it's like, okay, well just don't pay all the money to go. Yes. Know? A lot of money for something that I don't like doing that much. Yes. Yeah. So it's not, not really worth it for no. you then. No, it's not. So um so we started an online snowboard um yes. store called okay. Snow Devil. Snow Devil. So um okay. so he right. he later realized so like a little bit into it, he realized that the software was actually worth a lot more than the snowboarding brand. Oh. So he realized that he could actually create a piece of software to help e-commerce sales. Yeah. Uh, without and then he could go and like um, consult with people yep. and talk about his software yep. and say, "Hey, let me build you a website, ah. basically, yep. which allows you to put your products up there, yep. and I'll get you more sales because yep. pe- people are online now." You yes, because at this point, everyone's just in-store sales. Yeah, and this is two thousand four. Two thousand four. Yeah, maybe eBay something. Yeah, and most people are just yeah just on um, in-store sales. Yep. So the Based on that, like from that, that springboarded him into launching the proper Shopify product, which launched in 2006. Okay. And he's wow. been the the official CEO because I think it's been like an official proper company mm-hmm. since 2008. So, wow. um, so that's when he kind of that's a while. That's when he kind of came into the into 13 the 13 years. Yeah. So I guess I guess it took him from 2004 to 2006 to develop the product, and yes. then and then yeah, obviously proper incorporated yes. all that kind of thing in yeah, 2008. Yeah. That's when he got the title CEO. Yes. Um. So the headquarters is based in Ottawa. Yep. And uh, which is where he moved to with his um. I think so that's is that the capital of um Canada. Everyone thinks it's Vancouver, but it's not. I thought it was. I thought it was Toronto, but I have no idea. I'll look it up. You look it up. up. I've been to an Ottawa, to get Ottawa, Ontario. Is there a capital of each, um, uh, what's it called? Ottawa Pre- is the capital of Canada. There you go. Yeah, so I, I had to go there and get my working visa for, uh, for the US. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a lot of people do that. A lot of um, international people in the US have to jump out to Canada or yeah. Mexico to get, the, to, to get the visa. Yeah, so um, so he really wanted, uh, his, his, a lot of his like purpose was for merchants to get a direct relationship with their customers. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the reason that he kept it, because like his whole dream with going to Canada was to go to the US mm-hmm. because the US was like the, you know, that's like, oh, that's where every, all the yeah. tech stuff happens. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. Then he realized his quote is, he thought that Canada is the um, America for Europeans. Oh, okay. So, um, so okay. yeah, a little okay. bit, you know, yeah. a little bit more, sure. um, you know, less brash, more dignified. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's his whole, no, I agree with that. Yeah, that's yeah, his yeah. whole thing. That's true. So, um, so there's a couple of there's a couple of little quotes that I've uh, thrown in here okay. from him. Great. So uh, here's the first one. It's I have a I have a weird obsession with optimizing things. When I was walking to elementary school, I used to count the number of steps on each route and work out which one was shortest. So that oh, was yeah. when he was right when he was a kid. That's cool. Then later on, um, it goes to if I have to do something once, that's fine. If I have to do it twice, then I'm kind of annoyed. Yeah. If I have to do it three times, I'm going to try and automate it. Yeah. So that's. A really good philosophy Absolutely. for how he runs his yeah. how he runs his businesses. That's great. Um, so Toby's ownership of yeah. Shopify. Yeah. He um, his current net worth is now thirteen point three billion USD. Wow. And um, eleven point five of that is his six percent stake in his own company. So uh, which he's also the largest holder yep. of anyone in. So mm-hmm. you know, wow. pretty good. I know. Yeah. So um. So you know, it's uh. It's it's a pretty cool. It's a pretty cool like um, platform. Yeah, and it's a great. lot of people. It's it's an interesting one because a lot of people that 
don't know business yeah. or don't know um, tech mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have heard of it. Like a yeah, lot okay. of a lot of people yeah. don't actually really know what. Yep. It's not the same as Microsoft, which has a yes. big following. Yeah, it's not a household very, name. It's very understated. You yes, know? I agree. So it's yeah, it's literally merchants that have looked for yep. solutions to build websites on. You know, because like, pretty easily you can take the branding off and it just looks like your own website. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely. It's definitely that kind of vibe. Yeah. So it's got 7,000 employees as of wow. the end of 2020. Okay. So it's it's fairly lightweight for its size, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's it's business. All right. We're going to go into the into the kind of timeline of the business, how yeah. they, when they introduced everything. So beyond, so it's like it follows on from the founder story okay. into what, like what they launched. Incredible. So 2008 was their original product. Yep. So this is the simple online stores for a subscription model. Yep. This now has 1.7 million businesses on that platform. Wow. 1.7 million. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, 2000, so that was 2008. 2009, Shopify launched its app store. Okay. So this is a simple API for developers to build their own functional Shopify apps. Yep. So the app store is a full marketplace for merchants to buy apps from. Yep. And developers to upload yes. apps to. Yep. So Shopify launched this with a 20% fee on all app purchases. Mm-hmm. So they made 20% every time a merchant okay. purchased That's a developer. That's not as much as Apple. Apple like 30%, right? Yeah, 30%. Yeah, okay. So that was their original fee. Yeah. Now, because Shopify is very much, I think it's a very good company in terms of supporting the little guy. Yes. Um, so it's obviously it's got that anti-Amazon yes. mindset. Yeah. You know, um, arm the rebels is the is the kind of, you know, little mm-hmm. bit of a catchphrase that arm goes with it. Yeah, right. So, um... So it's. I mean, I don't. I don't think that's an official you no, know, no, thing no, at all. No. But yes, it's like course. it's kind yeah. of the what people say about Shopify. Okay, do they? So, um, so the Shopify app actually. So this it was twenty yep. percent on all app purchases. Yep. Now the Shopify app store, as of the 29th of June, twenty twenty one. Yeah. They've decided to remove fees for for the first one million in revenue for developers. Oh, that's cool. So all so, so cool. all developers will now make a hundred percent. Of everything they make under a million dollars. Yes. Then they'll make fifteen percent over a million dollars. So they've cut from Shopify. twenty. Okay, they take fifteen percent. Yeah, million. so they've cut from twenty percent okay. to fifteen percent of yep. everything over a million. Yes. So not only did they cut out all of the revenue they were making for the first million. Yep. They've now they yeah they've 5%. now dropped five percent. Yeah, so that's awesome. I think that's a really good um, mentality. I think yeah. it'll encourage more people to develop on Shopify yes. as well. I agree. Like I think it could be. So they've got they've currently got seven thousand developers yep. on um, on Shopify apps. Yes. So people have seven thousand products have been launched in the app store, and I think that it'll you know it's like okay, if we cut all of our fees and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. someone who was making a Chrome extension or yeah. an Apple app or yeah. anything like that, yeah. now can say actually I'm going to pivot this and yeah. put it on a Shopify, yeah. make an API for Shopify, uh-huh. you know, and then. You know, they might get fourteen thousand next year. You yeah. know, it could be yeah, yeah, it could That's be really a real good. pivoting point. That's awesome. In twenty thirteen, they launched their point of sale system. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so this okay. is this is pretty cool. Okay. I didn't actually know they had a point of sale. I have seen this on the website, but I don't know much about it. Yeah. Okay. So so in store sales, this is in twenty thirteen. In store sales increased an average of thirty percent year over year, using a Shopify POS. Oh wow. So POS being point of sale. Point of sale, yeah. Yep. So it's been refreshed in 2020 with an all new um, black iPad system. Oh, cool! But the higher growth is partially due to the integration between the online and the in, in store. Yeah. So it allows you to order online, pick up in store, yep. as well as ordering in store, have it sent home. Yep. Okay. 
Um, as well as that, cool. it gives more insights. It gives a smart grid interface. Yeah. It gives easy inventory management. Oh wow, really? Um, and, and that's across all of the all of the sales channels. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically its own version of like Square. Yeah. So that's that's kind of well, what they're the doing. That's the thing, there. isn't it? Coming to that point, like yeah. they're definitely their biggest competitor. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so 2013, they also launched, launched Shopify Payments. Okay. So this means that merchants could directly accept Visa, MasterCard, and American Express instead of plugging in a third-party gateway. So that's what they used to have to do oh, before what year was that? 2013. Okay. So it's surprisingly recent. Which they use Stripe, right? Uh, well, no, it's, it's Shopify Payments. It's their own thing. Yeah, it's called Shopify Payments. Okay. So essentially this means that... I thought yeah, they used Stripe. It's it's about it's essentially their own version of Stripe. Okay, gotcha. Cool. Um, That's sick. And so Shopify merchants on the payments, um, on their on their regular plan, make uh, so they pay two point nine percent plus thirty cents yep. of every um, purchase on that's on their starter plan. Yep. Uh, and then on their unlimited plan, they pay two point two percent plus thirty cents. Yep. Uh, and the advantage here is that those rates are guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no additional merchant fees for using American Express. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like there would be normally yes. if you set up an American Express, then it's like yep. actually we take an extra 2% yes. on top of that yep. fee, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. So it's all just covered by Shopify. They just pay for yep. whatever and they just charge you yes. 2.9 or 2.2. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, that's, um, that's really cool. 2014, okay. they launched yes. Shopify Plus. Okay, what's that? So this is this is actually considered their enterprise solution. Oh. So that's what they uh, that's the way that they market it. Okay. So they've currently got uh, Nestle. They've oh. got uh, I've actually I've I've included a bunch of brands here that um, yeah. you may or may not have heard of. I included a lot of the ones that I have heard of or have kind of looked it up and yep. seen. Okay, I know what that is now. Yes. So and there's there's also there's ten thousand of them. Oh. But they've they've got Nestle. Kylie, which is by Kylie Jenner. Okay, yeah. Gymshark, JB Hi-Fi, Jenny Craig, Culture Kings, Honey Birdette, Allbirds, Staples, Two Chains. The rapper has his store on um, <laughs> Shopify Plus, Magnolia Market, Muscle Nation, Deathwish Coffee, and yeah, and there's ten thousand other yeah, okay. large brands. So some of them. So JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, Pretty right. funny. Okay. So twenty-two percent of Shopify's subscription revenue came specifically from the monthly recurring revenue. Um, subscription to Shopify Plus. 25%. Of the yeah, total yeah 22. Yeah, yeah. 22. Okay. So it doesn't actually have a specific actual price though. Yeah. So it just says 2000 plus as there is the bucket. Because it's tailored towards the individual company. Yeah. Or? And it's also, it's also such a large scale. It has to run on such a large scale that right. it has to work for, you know, those people. Yes. So, um, so yeah, it's actually, it's, it's like also like you get assigned a, relationship manager and all that kind of thing there's 10,000 um 10,000 of these clients of these shopify plus clients yeah uh and then yeah that's so does that's shopify plus just mean that they tailor it more specifically towards the client's needs yeah i think so okay i so think they, they work more with them personally to make it work yeah i okay. think you get your own yeah you get your own like manager of it and yeah. You, yeah because shopify itself obviously like isaac and i we've used a little bit and uh it's beautiful and it's really easy to use but it's not super flexible yeah yeah there's unless you know how to code it yourself uh it's definitely restrictive in regards to what you can do 
And so I assume for, for a big brand like, you know, they would, they would Kylie Jenner or Jebby yeah. Hi-Fi, they get to actually have a say in regards to how it's built. So There'd cool. also be a bit of a deal in terms of it's not going to be, you're not going to pay 2.2% of yeah. every sale yeah. plus 30 cents. It's like when you're bringing in, you're saying, hey, I'm Kylie Jenner and I have, yeah. you know, a $2 billion makeup brand. Yeah. Like I'm going to be making, you know, $100,000 in sales every yes. day. Yeah. I'm not going to pay you $2,000 no, in those sales, you know? Yeah, exactly right. So it's like, yeah, it's going to be, you know, they're going to say, oh, okay, well, we'll we're going to do 0.5% or yeah. something like that. Like they're yeah. going to make an individual deal yes. with that client. Yes. They're going to have a, a manager of it. Yeah. They're going to say, are you happy with your deal? Yeah. Um, they're going to say, I'll get you these five software devs that are just going to work on your site. Yes. That kind of that kind of thing, you know? Exactly right. So like, That's yeah, cool. make, make sure it's all up and running all the time yeah. as well. Stuff like that. Yeah, makes you know? sense. So I think the whole idea of Shopify Plus as well, mm -hmm. they have a little a little bit of a, a section which said something basically along the lines of uh, let us be your tech company. Don't start a tech company when you want to have your e-commerce brand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where your tech company, yeah. where you're on call, you know, yeah. um, tech support. So yeah. That's cool. That's um that's kind of That's really sick. Yeah, so and it and it makes a lot of sense too, because it's like it does make a lot you of don't want to hire your own full full no. service staff. No. When you can have a way cheaper option yes. to, to use that Shopify plus. Yes. So yeah. Um twenty fifteen. So yep. that was that was in twenty fourteen they that launched. Twenty fourteen, yeah. Twenty fifteen they launched multi channel Shopify, which means oh. um customers could use Facebook Shop, Pinterest and Amazon as well Since as twenty fifteen. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, they um that's when they launched the multi channel solution. Yep. That's what that's kinda what they've called it. Yep. Uh twenty fifteen they also launched Shopify shipping. Oh. Which is merchants can now buy and print discounted shipping labels uh, yes. directly with the Shopify platform. Yes. And it's integrated with the USPS, which is US Postal Service. Yes. Uh, that was useful for the 175,000 merchants at the time. Yeah. Um, merchants would receive rates of up to 60% off wow. retail sales. That's great. So that's, that's obviously very US based. Yes. I don't, like there's a little bit of Shopify shipping from what we've seen. So far, there's like... Yeah. Well, we use Sendle here. But yeah, I think that what it's saying is that's what it plugs into. Like that's yeah. kind of that's kind of how that works. Um, also, yeah, 175,000. Now they're at 1.7 million. They've 10x since 2015, yeah, which yeah. is really cool in, in terms of customers. Yep. Now this one's, this one's really cool. 2016, they launched Shopify Capital. Okay. So Shopify uses machine learning to remove barriers to entrepreneurship. That's okay. what they've... Titled the, okay. the kind of the point of what they're doing there. Yeah. So Shopify has loaned two billion dollars in funding ah, to entrepreneurs. Really? Um, over the last, it's been five years now. So it is like that was twenty sixteen. Square do that too. Yeah. So I was definitely thinking that is that is a square thing. Yeah. And I was like, like oh, thing. you know, because I I was actually thinking as I was started this like segment. Yeah. I was like, it would be cool if they did something like Square, like yeah. they loaned money. Because they know all the details. Yeah. yeah. But they already do that. So do. there you go. There you so go. I didn't know that. They're a step ahead. That's cool. So the maximum loan size previously was a million dollars. And as of April 2021, yep. they've increased it to $2 million <sighs> to further boost growth. Yeah. Shopify Capital made $363 million in quarter two revenue. Whoa. So just, just in Q2. Yep. Uh, which means it's about a billion dollars a um, a wow. year in or over a billion dollars a year just from Shopify Capital in revenue, uh, which is up 137% since last. How do they make that Q2. money? Some interest. Yeah, just interest, I guess. Wow. 
So, um, well, I'm, I don't know the exact business model of it, but That's um, assumption. yeah. So Shopify Capital made up thirty two percent of the revenue for this quarter through 32%. the merchant. Yeah, so it's merchant. Whoa, merchant cash advantages. Yeah, uh, merchant cash advances and loans. Yeah. So yeah, thirty two percent. Pretty wow. cool. That's huge. So something they launched in 2016 yeah. is now a third of their yeah. yeah a third of their revenue, which is cool. Wow. So um, 2017 was Shopify's platform expansion. Okay. So they expanded to eBay and Instagram. Ah yes. So that's pretty cool. Okay. Yep. 2017 also Shopify launches ShopPay, which okay. is uh, it's like a purple icon. Yeah. I've um, seen it. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. So this one appears to be an alternative to Apple Pay or Stripe. Ah. Uh. And this one is something that saves and encrypts customers' yeah. card details yep. and makes payments seamless it's, and frictionless. I guess it's kind of emulating the whole one-click payment <laughs> things on on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just like, I want this, pay, done. And it remembers your details and everything yeah. like that. So it's it's pretty good. Yeah, that's really good. So that one is also, it's so it's like Apple Pay and um, Stripe, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's also like Afterpay. Okay. So it allows customers to make purchases and spread them out over a longer period oh, of time. Oh, really? So <laughs> that's something I didn't know about it. Wow. So that feature of spreading out payments uh, and was added was added later. Yeah. So it wasn't added in 2017, but yes. um, has been added recently. <laughs> and it's by a partnership with a company called Affirm. Okay. So that was 2017. 2017, yeah. And um, and the next thing that happened was 2018. Shopify 2018, goes yeah. international. Okay. So this is when Shopify launched multilingual options Ooh, in the uh, in the store. They? they launched six languages. Wow! Uh, I won't tell you what they are, but no, um, don't tell me. They allowed for uh, international commerce solutions, like Australian foreign, yeah, like foreign. Um, <laughs> well, I believe that they were only operating in the US, UK, okay, um, and like Canada and Australia, like English speaking company uh, countries. Yeah. Okay. So um, so yeah, pretty cool that they're um, that's awesome. Went international. Makes sense. And 2019, they launched the Shopify Fulfillment Network. Okay. Uh, so in 2019, the company pledged to spend over $1 billion over the next five years to expand fulfillment capabilities. Right. So they've got their own fulfillment network, which is cool. So I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I didn't know either. So they're, um, they're planning to get two-day shipping to 99% of Americans. Whoa. So they're, That's so they're planning to beat Amazon, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, Amazon uh, can do like 40-minute shipping, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> not here. <laughs> like 11 days here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 11 days in a capital city. I ordered I ordered some stuff like a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still, crazy, waiting, yeah. still waiting on it. Um, it's a pandemic. So, um, yeah, so they're keen to get the two-day shipping to the 99% of Americans. Right. Um, in a comment since then, Thomas Epting, who is the director of Shopify Fulfillment, okay. said that COVID-19 has pushed e-commerce forward by 10 years so wow that's I, his that's probably right yeah that's that's his opinion on that okay um 2020 platform expansion so yeah. they integrate with walmart facebook shops and well i and i know that they already had facebook but mm -hmm. further further with like facebook shops i think what that means is instagram stores mm -hmm. uh so yeah i mean because instagram is a is a brand of facebook obviously yes uh integrates with TikTok and Alipay as well. Okay. So there you go. That's really cool. So that's Shopify. Alipay. Okay. Uh, yeah, Alipay. Yeah, it's an interesting. That's good. I think China are actually yes. quite ahead in terms of yeah. payments. Like they pay with a QR code, that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, so that's quite cool. That's awesome. 
so onto their onto their kind of um, that was that was their like kind of timeline onto mm-hmm. their products. Yeah. And the product revenue. So uh, merchants they make so they've got basically two. The way that they break it down is in two ways. Yeah. Merchants and subscription products. Okay. So I couldn't get an exact split on how much more they make from merchants. Yeah. But merchants is literally the split of um, that fee that they take. So that that two yeah. percent. Yeah. Um, fee on each. Oh, it's a separate. Yeah. yeah okay. So that's that's the two percent fee yeah. on on each purchase, yeah. and that appears to be. Seventy percent of their oh, really? of their revenue. Yeah, okay. Makes and uh, rough, roughly seventy percent. I'm not hundred percent sure. Well, that and, that's expected um, because if they're if they're charging, say thirty forty dollars a month. Yeah. People are going to be make surely they're going to be making more yeah. from the two percent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That makes and they sense. want people to do well, so they'll charge them a low subscription. Yep. And make more off the yes. you know off that kind of spread. That's right. Everyone wins. Um. And so their subscription products, their basic subscription is twenty nine dollars a month. Yep. Shopify is what this next one this is, is called. USD, right? Yeah, US. Um, Shopify is what the next one is called. Okay. And that one is seventy nine dollars a month. Seven. Wow, jumps up. Okay. Uh, advanced Shopify Advanced yeah. is two hundred ninety nine dollars a month. Whoa. And um, Shopify Plus. Yeah. Is ten thousand customers two thousand plus two thousand plus? Yep. So the uh, onto the competitive environment, they um <laughs> they make <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we just waited just just to clarify what happened there. Okay. We waited for me to cal- uh, calculate it. I calculated it clearly wrong. Oh. Um, <laughs> and then decided not to say the number. <laughs> What's the number to sell? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> I refuse to do public maths. <laughs> You can't, yeah, kind of under pressure. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was something that I meant to prepare earlier, but I just um, obviously didn't. So uh, that was my own my own downfall. Yes. But um, they have a really strong um, competitive market position. Okay. Yes, so, I agree with that. Yes. So they're on their own graph, mm-hmm. on their own source. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know exactly. But um, oh well, it's according it's according to eMarketer is the official source. But okay. in their own investor presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have. Eight point six percent of U.S. retail e-commerce sales. Oh wow! In twenty twenty, that's crazy. So Amazon has thirty nine percent. Um, they've got eight point six. That's good. Walmart is the third. Yeah. At five point eight percent. Yeah. eBay is four point nine percent. Yeah. And Apple is three point five percent. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes Home Depot at two point one, and okay. just a bunch of lower Target, um, yep. Kroger, Costco, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, eight point six percent. So they're second okay. in place of um, that's behind, very impressive behind Amazon at thirty nine percent. Yes, but obviously breathing down Amazon's neck. Yes, you know at yes. at the massive growth rate they're doing. Yes, it's um, it's pretty impressive. So onto that actual growth rate. Onto it. We'll well we'll get there. You know, <laughs> so they're uh, yeah. So they've got seven thousand apps on their app store, mm-hmm. uh, which each of those is basically a business. Yeah, who has has a developer who has gone and made something. Yeah, they're solving a problem. And is probably making yeah. a, couple, a couple of million dollars off people well, who potentially. are... Yeah, potentially. Well, yeah. I mean, the fact that they cut all of the revenue for, you know, under a million dollars yes. means that they're There's probably There's obviously making, enough there making the money, yeah. Yeah, so they're, right. some of them are making, a, you know, a couple of million dollars yep. and they're encouraging the other ones to make more. Yes, um, that's fair. By giving them a bigger split. Yep. So, um, yeah, so according to the breakdown in the results... Sixty-one percent of their uh, their revenue comes from the core product, mm-hmm. which is the um, 
their standard beginner package. Sorry, sixty one percent of their subscription revenue uh, comes from the the their, first twenty nine dollar one. Yeah, it comes from their standard and beginner packages. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For Shopify's monthly recurring revenue model. What was that? Um, sixty something percent. Yeah, sixty percent. But that's 60% of, the of subscription, their subscription of the subscription part. Yeah, I gotcha. Twenty two percent comes from Shopify Plus monthly recurring revenue. Okay. And seventeen percent comes from apps, themes, domains, and Shopify Plus platform okay. fee revenue. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's um that's the subscription part of it. Yep. Uh, their quarter two revenue was one point one billion, quarter which is up fifty seven percent. Whoa. Um, so. Awesome. That makes cool. a lot of sense. And so their total yearly TTM, which is trailing twelve month. Yep. So that's quarter three, twenty twenty, quarter four, twenty twenty. Yeah. And then quarter one, quarter one two. two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just for a, a little explanation. No, that's good. Um I like the so their total total TTM revenue is three point eight billion. Okay. Uh which is an earnings of two point four five billion. So they're looking at a margin of sixty three percent. Wow, um, which is pretty astonishing. Makes me want to uh, <laughs> makes me want to buy more because it's um, that's good. I mean, to a certain impressive. extent, it makes sense. What's that? I mean, their costs are personnel, and I suppose a huge portion is advertising, marketing. Yeah, but yeah. how much marketing do they need to do? Like, they're <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Obviously, some, but like, they're doing well. Well, compare it. Right, so we'll compare that with last year, mm-hmm. where um, so this is. The equivalent period, yep. so June twenty, or July twenty eighteen to June twenty nineteen. Yep. So compared with that, they had a loss of seventy seven million. So a loss of seventy seven million to a profit of two point four five billion. Whoa! Is um is an incredible um, achievement. Wow. So yeah, massive, massive difference. That's sick. Uh, valuation. So their current price is $1,545 a share. Oh wow, they need to do a split. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, they're, <laughs> they're too hard to buy. Um they're not very, you know. It just it looks expensive to those who aren't valuing it properly. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um so it makes their market cap 190 billion. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive for a uh, little old Shopify. Yeah. And that makes the current price to earnings ratio uh 76. So they're growing earnings at 82% per annum for the last five years. Okay. Uh, compared, compare that with Square, which has a PE ratio of 216. Whoa. Uh, it doesn't seem as ridiculous. So 76 no. is um, 217 Shopify. for the same ratio? Yeah. So um, and their, Square their has, growth is nowhere near Square Shopify. has um, yeah, a 216 PE, but they have earnings at 74% PE for the last five years. Yeah, right. So, um, and that's just their crypto holdings. Yeah, just, yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, yeah, you would know you're uh, you're a big Square shareholder. Um, I've also compared. I've compared. I <laughs> also used to own Shopify. There you go. Don't anymore. Maybe you need to again. I don't know. We'll see. We'll Too see late. if this convinces you. Not a thousand bucks. <laughs> well, fifteen hundred. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah USD. Uh, so I've also gone and compared <laughs> Apple, which has a PE of twenty eight. Okay. And that's. Growing earnings at nine point six percent per annum yeah. for five years. Yeah. So, if you think about so sh- once again, Shopify's was seventy six. Yes. And they're growing at eighty two percent. Yep. Versus Apple at twenty eight, and they're growing at, at yeah. nine point six percent. Yeah. It's really not that bad of a valuation. Yes. Consider you know it's a tech company. Yes, it would look crazy. Yeah. If this is twenty ten, you know, and it's got a PE ratio of seventy six, you're like, 
what's going on there. Yes. But stuff wasn't growing at 80%. But can they sustain that growth? Yeah. It's a good question. But also it's like at some point it catches up. Where Where is the point where it catches up to your ideal valuation? Yeah. And where is the point where it comes down to like mm. where it's like, okay, I've still made a massive profit. Yeah. Share prices fall on 50%. I'm yeah. still way up. You no, know? that's true. So it's like not a huge issue. And like, you know, what's the point where I start making dividends, that kind of thing. So yeah. Oh yeah. If you're, if you're a long-term, you know, <laughs> really long-term holder. Okay. I was going to talk about the Udi guy. Um, Dave, uh, what's his name? Who? Udi. You know Udi? Oh, Udi man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Udi yeah. man. Uh, yeah, I he decided. made his millions on Shopify, didn't he? Yeah. So um, I think I think he started in mm. 2020 at some time. Um, 2020? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I know, think so. It, it, yeah, it is pretty new. Yeah, yeah, it could be 2020. Literally designed a blanket crossed with a hoodie. Yeah, it's what it, it really hoodie. what it is is it's a poncho. It is it is a poncho crossed with what a lot of surfers use when they're getting changed to the beach. True. Crossed with a hoodie, cross like crossed with a blanket. Um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, it is actually a really good idea. Isaac doesn't like it because he's jealous. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I wish I was making that much on Shopify. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm like objective enough to understand. <laughs> yeah, that it's you're actually the, you're the level-headed one. <laughs> I'm not emotional. I wouldn't have brought it up if I didn't like it. Like I do, <laughs> I do appreciate how clever he is, but it is annoying. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what do you mean? You can't say it's not annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, no, he's uh, he's pretty cool. So he also has the weighted. He's got the calming blankets. So they're yeah, just weighted blankets. Them. But he's just he's branded it as what calming. makes them calming. Well, he's branded it as calming. Yeah, and he wants it to be like how band aid is synonymous with uh, bandage. That's and right. Yeah. So he's designed it in a way because calming blanket isn't a real word. Like, no, that's a brand. Yeah. So. He wants people to look up calming blanket. Oh, I see what you're saying. So yeah, yeah. pretty clever. Like it is actually really clever. The fact that because I didn't I didn't know that calming blanket was a was a brand. I didn't know calming blanket was a thing. Well, yeah, but a lot of people <laughs> will hear. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what what have you got? Oh, a calming it's blanket. A calming blanket. Oh, that's yeah, cool. It sounds like a type of product. Yes. but it's actually a brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, that's good. And then they go home, Google calming blanket. They yeah. don't Google weighted blanket. No. Yeah. So that's that's his whole plan there. Okay, right. So it's pretty clever. He's also got. Uh, a furniture store and yes. a couple of other yeah, random other projects. stuff with other people, yeah. But yeah, um, pretty inspirational stuff. So it, it's good, yeah. You can get pretty far. There's also that annoying kid on YouTube, um, Bizaria <laughs> or something, diarrhea. Um, <laughs> he makes a lot of Shopify um, <laughs> he does. content. He does. Uh, you know, you'll find... In America, though, it's a whole new world. You'll find 50,000 different gurus. The special um, thing about the Udi guy is that he's Australian. Yeah. Which that's what is, made it cool. Yeah. That's what, what makes it really special. Because, yeah. It, yeah, there's probably a million of that guy in America. Yeah. But to do that in Australia is quite impressive. Yeah. And yeah. to make that much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think you made $250 million oh, in the last money. year. Yeah. Um, oh, geez, that seems like a lot. But I think it is. I think it's okay. literally that. I don't know. That's crazy. Um, you know, we'll we'll correct the figure. Uh, don't uh, we might not. Actually, give us, a, give us a comment on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Um, send us an Instagram DM uh, and <laughs> make sure to dislike the YouTube video if the number isn't wrong. <laughs> um, yes, just react in some way. Yeah, react in some some way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like to keep a perfect ratio on the YouTube likes to dislikes. Hundred percent, please. Um, so make sure you like it uh, and then comment your your um 
distaste. So competitors, what does Square do better? Um, point of sale system, point of sale payments. Yeah, they do point of sale very well. So, um, so that's definitely something that I mean, maybe I'm biased in in terms of I haven't I haven't got data to back it up, no. but I'm definitely biased in terms of Australia. Yeah, they definitely do point of sale better they because I've well. never seen a Shopify no. branded thing. No. Also, Shopify wouldn't want to brand their their own point of sale system. Yeah. Because they're very under the radar as well. Yeah. So that's a huge drawback of having a having a very secretive kind of brand. Yeah. At the same time, Square doesn't have a lot of branding. It's also very under the radar in terms of No, Square also have the hardware. Yeah, yeah. You know that that's like a, a Square type Shop- thing. But Shopify's thing is is a hardware piece really? as well. Yeah. That's yeah. why it's I've never, yeah. okay. Yeah, because I've never seen one, no, but either. I assume it's bigger in the US. Yeah. So yeah, um, if, uh, Square have great invoicing. Yes. Just saying. yeah, I haven't seen that anywhere on Shopify. True. Um, so Square have additional services, so yeah, they're they're so kind many. of like a a neo bank in that way. Yeah. So that's definitely a huge advantage. Yeah. Um. So looking, yeah. So obviously they're getting Afterpay. Yeah. They got Cash App. Yeah. So they have a full range of integrated banking services. Yeah, that's right. Which Shopify are just something for merchants. Yes. So in a way, Shopify is too niche. Yeah. Uh, so one, so an area of expansion would obviously be adding full like banking services, yeah, that kind wow. of thing. True. But also, it's like, okay, now now what are they doing? Are they are they spreading too far? Yeah. Uh, will they invest money in the wrong places to try and yeah. try and make that expansion happen? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I think also so logistics if, could be. If um, sorry, if. <laughs> On Square, if I use Cash App, then like I'm just thinking like if I'm a consumer and I use Cash App and you're, um, uh, you know, own a store and you also use Square Terminal, Square Point of uh, Sale, everything, and I buy something from you using Cash App, blah blah blah, it's just we're just all using the same ecosystem which is Square and we're just moving money around in Square's ecosystem, like money never. Money never goes away from Square's ecosystem. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, good. Yeah. It's just, you know, it doesn't matter who has the money. Yeah. It's just all within the ecosystem that and is Square. Yeah, and that's why there's a lot of, there's heaps of articles that are literally like, Commonwealth Bank should be scared. Um, yeah. You know, this bank should, Wells Fargo, yeah. um, JP Morgan, they should be scared because yeah. um, Square is like a full solutions provider. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So, one thing, that's one thing that's really cool about Square. So, yeah. what we should talk about, I think, okay. is. Let's do it. The average spend per consumer. Mm-hmm. So that's a really important metric. Mm-hmm. So they've obviously got 200, Square's got 203 million users or whatever. Yeah. If they can take their spend, you know, if they can, if they've got an average spend of $50 yep. with Square per year, yep. right? Yeah. Or we were talking about it with Afterpay before, right? Yeah. Their average, you know, what's, what's Afterpay? Yep. So average monetized, um, annual revenue yes. is $43 per consumer. Per consumer yeah. They've got 16.2 million users, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If they can add a dollar to mm-hmm. that user by getting them to shop at a Square terminal yeah. or giving them a discount at a Square thing or yeah. getting them to use Cash App, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. If they can add $1, $2, $3, yes. they're suddenly making $45 instead of $43 yes. on 16 million people, Yeah, you know? So they're they're increasing their average spend per consumer. Yes. So that's one thing that Square's doing really well with its integrations. Yeah. So yeah, if, um, you know, obviously 
Shopify isn't a bank, so they no. don't they don't have the ability and they don't have their own cash app, that kind of thing. No, that's right. They but, don't have much on the consumer side of it. Mm, but yeah. if they had that crossover, yeah. it could potentially lead to more, you know, everything that a business wants is more money per consumer. Yeah. Like that's a huge thing as well as you don't only want to grow the number of consumers, you want to grow per, yes. per unit spend. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about that as well with Palantir last week. Yeah. Their average, um, their average customer went from six million to eight million. Yeah. So, you know, it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a great thing. Like, if your business is doing that, yes, it's, it's a an good efficient, investment. It's an efficient way to make more money because you're not acquiring new customers. You don't have to go and spend the new advertising. No, exactly. To right. go and get that new, cu- the new customer. Yeah. So here's what Square does worse. Okay. Um, earnings for Square was five hundred and seventy-three million for the same for the Q2. Yeah. Right. Which, um, wow. earnings of Shopify was two point four billion, but Square made um, 15.9 billion in revenue. So they made way more revenue. They made a 3.6% profit margin um, square in Q2. Wow. So, but also okay. in Square's defense, yeah. they're uh, growing pretty rapidly as well. Yeah. So they've also potentially a lot of that money's going towards growing their uh, their revenue base. Yeah. At the same time, is it is it just crypto gains? Who knows? Is yeah. it crypto losses? Yeah, You know, that's right. So yeah, interesting. Is that so the that's, end? Yeah, that's my Shopify <laughs> segment. I'm bullish on it. Are you? Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know. How do you feel now? You feeling okay? How do I feel? Yeah. Um, I think it's a good company. I just, I just honestly feel like the the big thing that sticks in my mind is like anyone who ever was going to start a Shopify store will have started it in the last two years, and I think they have to see slowing growth in the next couple of years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's cause it's pulled forward their growth. There's also, all right. So there's also something in, in terms of cohorts, they have a cohort spend, spend by cohort, cohort. which means, okay. um, they've got 2017, the people that signed up in 2017, oh, right. the people that signed up in okay. 2018, the people that signed yeah. up in 2019. Yeah. So their revenue per cohort yeah. in 2018. So their 2018 cohort or yeah. whatever. And before, yeah, has grown by like more than a hundred percent like this year. Um, and then they've added, they've added this one, this one and this one. So their bar graph actually looks great. So we'll add that in there. But, um, their bar graph looks like crazy in terms of cohorts. Yeah. Yeah, But yeah. Okay. And I think, so it's like the concern that I have grows every year. Yeah. The concern that I have is that for you, like for you as a current investor who let's say you invested two years ago, you don't necessarily care that it's pulled forward their, uh, pull forward their interest in the in the business by two years, for example, because you were going to get that anyway. But yeah. for, for someone who doesn't own it, for me to buy it now, knowing that potentially the valuation is because of all of that interest that's been pulled forward yeah, and now yeah. it's going to sort of slump in the next couple of years. I'm not yeah. saying it is, but in my mind, unless they do something drastic, it could. It just doesn't make sense to buy. Um so I guess, but then it does also come back down to what you're saying is if they can acquire or, or, or produce a product that also tailors towards the consumer side, that's a whole new market that they haven't even touched. So yeah, there's much yeah. more growth there as well. And you've also got to consider those people that say um, in, in 2017 or 2016 or whatever, yeah. they say, what's the best financial advice you could give someone? Yeah. They literally say, by you know, we've already had a massive run of fang companies. Yeah. Buy buy fang companies, buy five companies. Yeah. Put all your money in those five, twenty percent each, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
and every time that someone said, oh, well, they've already reached their maximum, oh, they've already reached saying. a trillion, they've already reached two trillion. They still continue. You know, they're still yeah. potentially the best oh, possible and you're right. you could make and yeah. they're still going to outperform yes. a massive amount. Yes. So, you know, there's some there's some level of that as well. Yeah. There's some level of, oh, well, it's at its all-time high, you know. No, I agree. And I think I think, uh, I think think if you were to invest in it, I, I'm not necessarily, I don't think you'd necessarily lose money, although you might. Everything has a risk. But I think... In my mind, it's just something that's been pulled forward so far that in the next two years, there might be other uh, avenues of which um, I could invest, which might reap greater returns. It's a, it's a genuinely better, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get uh, what you mean. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, I think it's good. I think it's definitely a buy if you want it. Like, I don't know. It's a good business. I didn't buy it for no reason. Okay, so uh, Carl should talk about is a Ford Bronco. Yes. Uh, it's a pretty old uh, brand, as the Ford Bronco itself. Uh, it's something that's been around for a while. And uh, this year, it's one of the hottest SUVs. And so uh, it's direct competition for the Jeep Wrangler. And some similarities include it's got two four-door options, as in two and four-door options. It's got uh, remo- removable top, so you can totally get rid of it. You just have like the exoskeleton vibes. Uh, it's obviously an off-road focused vehicle and it's priced relatively similarly. So it was announced in 2020 um, and it's currently on sale in 2021 and prices in USD range from 30 to 60 grand. So it's pretty big range, uh, but they have a lot of different packages and model options, which I'll talk about in a sec. Two engine options, both are EcoBoost. Uh, The first one is the turbo 2.3 liter four cylinder, um, which... uh, produces 300 horsepower and 420 newton meters of torque. It'll That's pretty impressive for a two point. Four. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, it is. A 420 newton meters of torque is pretty good for a little four cylinder, and uh, zero to 108 seconds, which isn't particularly fast, but it's a pretty large vehicle, so that's fine. Um, the second v- uh, engine option is a turbo 2.7 liter V6, uh, which is 330 horsepower, just an additional 30, but it's 540 newton meters of torque which is an additional 120 uh, which will get you to 100 in a little over six seconds which is not bad to be honest it's not slow for that type of vehicle um i've thrown it into a couple of weeks ago or a couple of episodes ago i talked about um we compared different um like cyber truck alternatives so we talked about the um the rivian r1t the gmc hummer ford f-150 um lightning stuff like that I've just added two more lines to that um, particular spreadsheet um, to just show where it sits. Obviously, it's not in the same category, but it's similar in regards to off-road vehicles. It's not a pickup there. And so the Ford Bronco, um, uh, we might even share this. It's, it's, for example, uh, the price is top of the range is sixty grand, and so that's quite similar to the F-150 Platinum. But if you're going to get the Lightning version... Uh, the Lightning's an additional 30 grand. So it, it's relatively cheap um, in comparison. The GMC Hummer's 110 grand. The Rivian looks like it's going to be about 80 grand. Um, the Cybertruck looks like it's going to be about 70 grand. And so it's sitting in around 60 grand is not bad. Obviously, this isn't an EV. I'm not implying it is, but um, it's. Uh, I think it's still some form of competition for these guys. Um, most of them are going to come out in an automatic transmission. 
Um, uh, but you can rarely get a seven-speed manual. Um, it is seven-speed manual. Yes, wow. seven-speed manual. Yeah. The reason it's seven-speed is because it's got a crawler gear, which is uh, to the left bottom. Ah, cool. Um, so top left is reverse. You pull the collar up, top yeah. left, and then um, bottom left is a crawler gear, uh, which restricts your RPM and just gives you, you know, increased power at low revs or whatever. Does crawler mean that you can't stall? Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I'm interested in that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know the technicalities of it. Yeah. Um, right. So even with the manual, it has an electric parking brake, which is a little in- counterintuitive when you've got the gear stick there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because there was so little number of manuals being created, they weren't going to create a new system just for the uh, manual version. True. Yeah. Uh, the, the interior isn't particularly luxurious. You can buy a luxe version, but for the most part, it's made out of durable materials because it's it's tailored towards. You know, it's tailored towards the people who are going to buy the Wranglers. So it's tailored towards people who are going to take it out on the on the beach. Yeah. It's not tailored towards like someone who's like wants a luxury AMG that looks like a SU, like a off road SUV. Yeah, yeah. It's tailored towards someone who's going to use an off road SUV. Yeah, and you don't want your muddy boots all over really nice carpet. Right. Yeah. So it's all just like you can just wash it out and that kind of vibe. Um, it's like the buttons are all kind of like made out of rubber, for example. Um, and so you could press them with a glove. Is the idea. Um, the aircon um, recirculation button and the adaptive cruise control and the stability control buttons, which all usually have little generic photos of uh, little generic, sorry, little generic images of like cars. It has like a little image of a Bronco instead, yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like just an outline. Uh, there's like a bunch of exposed screws that is kind of scattered around the interior. All of those say Bronco on them, which is kind of like, it's a cool touch, I think. Um, there's a plaque which is just behind the gear selector or gear stick, depending on what you get, um, transmission wise, and it shows the location of the manufacturing and stuff like that, which is just like trying to make it a little more special. Um, the climate controls are hard climate controls, so whereas we're seeing in a lot of the cars, you've got a touch screen, which some people don't like. Particularly, it's not tactile, which might not really be consistent with the type of person who's going to buy this car. So um, they've made it the hard controls again. It's knobs that you can turn. Yeah, because you don't want to be also like you got like muddy fingers right. and like you're trying to, you know. And the touchscreen's not working. So yeah, it's just simple. It works and it's not, Im- yeah, it's not trying to prove anything impressive. Um, it's got a mode selector like a lot of four-wheel drives have. So you can go, you know, you know, two-wheel, four-wheel drive, high, low range, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's got a hill descent mode, which is pretty standard in a four-wheel drive. Um, but it has this thing called GOAT modes, which stands for <laughs> goes over all terrains, which I think is a trademark thing that they've um, created. GOAT mode. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And so um, GOAT modes, there's up to eight versions, depending on which um, model you purchase. Um, you'll get more or less modes. And so the modes include uh, normal mode, eco mode, slippery mode, mud ruts mode, sorry, mud ruts mode, um, sand mode, Baja mode, um, rock crawl mode, um, for example. Um, and so uh, there's a gauge cluster, like in the middle of the screen, as you'd, uh, in the middle of the steering wheel, as you'd expect. It's got a speedometer towards the left, and then it's got a large screen in the middle. Um, the difference between this vehicle and a lot of others is it's not really highly customizable. So you can't really edit um, what's on the screen. It basically just shows what it shows, which is a little unusual, but it is what it is. And to a certain extent, it's made up for by the infotainment system, which is in the center of the vehicle. Um, it's a 12-inch screen, depending on what model you get. And uh, from all accounts that I can see, from all reviews, it, it appears to be really intuitive and easy to use. So they've done really well with the infotainment system. 
Um, when you start the car up, there's a little video that plays on the gauge cluster and on the infotainment screen. And it's got like these little rocks that like move, yeah, and, right. you know, they like form like a little ball and then they, and then it kind of all comes into this like little logo in this nature background yep. of, um, like the Bronco logo. Yeah. It's almost like a little trailer for a movie. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so that plays every time you start the car, yeah. which is, I don't know, kind of a cool thing. There's like these little lights that sit on top of the mirrors um, and they, they're embedded in the mirror. And so you can press a button and turn them on. And the idea of it is it's uh, in the night, say you're in the bush or something, you can turn them on and you can see around the vehicle. You can see if there's uh, some, maybe some wildlife around the vehicle or, or something, uh, something like that. Um, it has power ports in the front of the dash. So imagine where the dashboard meets the actual um, bottom of the windscreen. There's um, a random little flap that you can flip up and right at the bottom of the windscreen, at the top, at the end of the dash, there's a little flap you can flip up and it has a USB-A and USB-C port. And the idea of that is a lot of people who go um, full driving like having their GoPro sitting on the dash. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. And so yeah. instead of having to run that down to, uh, you know, like a cigarette lighter down in the dash, they have that port there ready to go, which is cool. Shows they put a lot of thought into it. Um, uh, the, uh, ceiling, like above the, uh, center console, the ceiling has six auxiliary switches, which is kind of cool. Like when you're forward driving, one of them could be like, you know, your big lights and, uh, you know, your air horn or I don't know what forward drive people have. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever those people have. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> um, and there's a few things you can remove so you can get rid of the hard top above the front seats. That's separate. And that's a one man job. You can get rid of a woman. Uh, you can get rid. Of <laughs> <laughs> Very inclusive. Yes, okay. You can get rid of. You can get rid of the rear um, top panel. That's more of a two person job um, and difficult to store. It's quite a large panel, and then you can remove the rear section above the boot um, space as well. So you can end up with just kind of like a cage look, like a Wrangler. Um, from, you know, some LA person driving around in, in a Wrangler in a movie yeah, that you've seen yeah. or something. You know, uh, you can also take the doors off um, and the windows are frameless. So like your BMW has frameless windows. Right? <laughs> yeah, very and fancy. The problem that we always have is that when you open the door, if you don't wait, yeah, it catches on the rubber, right? Yeah. Um, this also has the same problem, <laughs> but it's brand new. <laughs> um, it's good to hear they've really put a lot of thought into that one. Though. Yeah, so um, when you open the door... I've seen a bunch of videos of reviews and stuff. Um, when you open the door, the actual glass kind of like moves because yeah. it's just hit the um, rubber <laughs> and it hasn't had time to go down, which is a bit crappy, but yeah. it is what it is. Well, at least mine worked when it was new. It was right. Like, exactly. It was very fast when it was new. It just <laughs> 20 years old, I don't know. Um, it's got this cool thing. Inside the fuel cap, when you open it, it's got these three generations of um, previous Broncos in little outline figures. Oh, cool. Which is like a little cool memento to the uh, to the brand, the Bronco brand. Because it's 100% about the people that used to have a Bronco. Yes. And they're like, oh, yeah, I want a new car, but I love the Bronco so much. Like, well, it's yeah. tailoring. T it, I think it's tailoring towards to like, uh, my dad had a Bronco and now I'm yeah. a 50-year-old man and I have the money to buy a Bronco. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to buy one, you know? And it's nostalgic and all those things. Um, the mirrors themselves, this is just a random... Um, fact the mirrors are not connected to the doors so when you open the door it looks really weird when you actually think about it the mirror just stays the horizontal. mirror just stays which yeah. is really weird it's like connected to the front quarter panel yeah um and but it makes a lot of sense and the jeep wrangler didn't think of this 
because when you take the doors off in the Jeep Wrangler, uh, you don't have any side mirrors. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so I assume you can't take the doors off in Australia because that seems like it would be illegal. Yeah. But I think in America you can. Yeah. You just have to run without any side mirrors or get like an aftermarket replacement. But with the um, Bronco, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Because they're not connected, which is cool. It's very Japanese to have your mirrors on the, uh, you know, oh, on, on the, the bonnet. Yeah, 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 yeah true. <laughs> yeah. Right down on the front. Probably not the same as um, like what the, the Bronco's the old, doing. The like skyline vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, just one mirror Little all round the way. One. All the way, like, yeah. 10 meters away from where you're sitting. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if 10 meters is accurate. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so this is, it gets a little confusing. So the Bronco is notorious for being um, highly customizable. And the way they do that is they have a bunch of different models and then they have a bunch of different packages that you can add to those models. So the models, there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them. And the first one is called the base model, obviously. And so this is the essential Bronco is the phrase that they use for this. And so it's just the essential things. It's all pretty basic interior, basic exterior. You know, it looks like a Bronco. It is what it is. Um, the next model is called the Big Bend. Yeah. And this is called the Mainstream Off-Roading Model. Uh, it has leather-wrapped steering wheel, heated seats, um, aluminum. Oh, I said aluminum. Sorry. <laughs> Aluminium. <laughs> Aluminium wheels. Um, it has remote start. So it's got a few of the mod cons and the luxuries of today's world. Um, the next one's called the Black Diamond, which they term the adventure off-roading vehicle. So it's got a few more serious things like a, a rear locking diff. Um, it's got steel front and rear... <laughs> it's got steel front and rear bumpers, uh, uh, rock sliding rails, skid plates along the bottom of it. And then this is the start of the... It's got seven goat modes in this particular um, model. So that's model three. Um, the, the fourth model is called Outer Banks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the show. <laughs> do, you know, a, do, you know what the, do you know what... Oh, okay. Well, it's probably, it might be a different thing, but, okay. um, well, I'm sure it's not the same thing. Maybe it's a Ford thing then. What? Well, all right. So there's a, there's a Netflix show called Outer Banks. Oh. Um, and it's been like a super popular show for like the last year. Really? So it's like, they kind of made that and not known that it's the same thing as a, Net, a Netflix show. I don't know. They might have. Maybe. Possible. So this one, they term the off-roading in style version. So you get 18-inch high-gloss alloy wheels. You get LED headlamps and tail lamps, um, body-colored fender flares. Uh, you get the 12-inch touchscreen in this version. You get an upgraded sound system, which I think might be optional. Uh, the uh, the next model is called the Badlands, which is one word, which is the extreme off-roading model. You get Bilstein shocks. You get a stabilizer bar disconnect. So you can click a button and disconnect your sway bar. Um, which I think that's like, you know, when you like see those photos of the full drives and they've got like one wheel crazily up oh, and the yeah. other one down. Yeah. I think you have to disconnect the sway bar to be able to get that kind of yep. um, flexibility. So it's got a uh, electric version, like you can electronically disconnect that sway bar or stabilizer bar. Uh, it's got a front and rear locking diff at this point and you've got 35 or 33 all-terrain tires. Um and you can do either a simple or a more stylish interior, depending on what uh, your idea of the car should be. Um, the next one is called the Wild Track, which I think they do a Wild Track in the Ranger as well. Yeah, um, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is sort of the this is the top of the line, um, and so it's a highest. They call it higher speed off roading, and so it's got beadlock capable wheels. So beadlock. I'm not a full driving guy, if you haven't noticed already, but <laughs> my understanding is you can like literally screw the tires onto your 
um, rims, which is what they call bead locking. Because um, the bead of the tire is the bit that goes uh, kind of over the lip of the rim. That's the bead. Yeah. And so if you bead lock, I think you actually physically lock it onto the rim. So if you get a bit of a flat or whatever, it still stays on. It doesn't fall off. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so it has like, it's all ready to go. Like uh, it's bead locked capable, I guess you'd call it. Hey, we went full driving uh, one time together. That's pretty good. We do. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then the, um, we went through like a tiny puddle. Yes. And um, it was in a Land Cruiser. Yes. And like, and the the um, battery started smoking. Oh, <laughs> and I yeah. was like, we're in, we're in this, the tiniest puzzle right. in the most reliable car in the world. That's true. And the battery started smoking. True. I was like, what? How did that even happen? Anyway. Uh, 35 inch tires. You get the V6 EcoBoost at this point, auto transmission, and you get a black um, grille and wheels. And then the last one is called the first edition, which is um, totally full. So reservations for this particular vehicle are full and it was limited run. So you can't buy it and uh, it has the best of absolutely everything. And it's basically their collector's version, I think. Um, so if you got that one, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so of those, you can then add these packages. So you can add the standard package, which um, you get black door handles, uh, mirror caps, fender flares, manual aircon, push start button. That's kind of what is a part of it. If you get the mid package, you then get remote start, heated front seats, enhanced voice recognition, auto emergency braking, blind spot information system, high uh, auto high beam and lane keeping system. Uh, if you do the high package, which is the third one up, you then get the 12 inch touchscreen, 360 degree camera, and you get additional sound deadening um, to make it sound better in the cabin, higher quality. You can get the Lux package, and then you get a few things with this one. You get adaptive cruise, uh, a high quality sound system, evasive steering assist, which sounds scary, but I assume it evasively moves around things if you're <laughs> aiming at them. Yeah. Anyway, um, heated steering wheel, uh, universal garage door can opener. I assume that means you can open anyone's garage door. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Sounds good for thieves. <laughs> you get a few more uh, USB points and you get a wireless charging pod, uh, pad, which is cool. And then the last one, which is really cool, which is worth getting a photo of or some videos if we can, is called the Sasquatch package. <laughs> yeah, so I found this when I was just looking Did up you? the um, Outer Banks. So the Outer Banks one is yeah. named after the place. Okay. Um, well, what place? Well, then it's the same thing. The show is named after the place. Okay. And so is the Ford okay, okay. Um, Bronco Outer Banks. Okay, I see. So there you go. Okay, great. It's in NC, which I don't know where that is. North Carolina, North Carolina. is my guess. Yeah. But okay. yeah, I don't know. Okay. If there are any Americans, um, correct us on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please do. Give us a five-star review. Give us a correction. Yeah. Um, so the Sasquatch, the Sasquatch package um, is comes standard on the Wild Track and the first edition. So they're basically the top versions. Um, you get the beadlock capable wheels. You get the 35-inch mud tires, electronic rear and um, front um, locking axles, four-point side. Uh, sorry, four-point seven final drive ratio, high clearance suspension, Bill scene shocks, high clearance fender fairs. It's getting late. Fender flares, sorry. So many words. Um, it, it basically boils down to the Sasquatch package looks really aggressive. And if you were to then buy, if you put a Sasquatch package vehicle next to one that isn't, uh, you're never going to want to buy one that doesn't have that. So yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're going to buy a Bronco, it's going to need to have the Sasquatch package. It needs to have the bigger wheels. It needs to have the fender flares, the additional fender flares. Yeah. It just looks silly without it. Yeah. Um, 
I like the the car. I've got a we've got a friend here in Newcastle who has an older um, Bronco, and I sent it to him. Today. Oh, true, yeah, yeah, yeah. I sent him some videos today, and they love it. Um, I so there was a well, in some of the reviews that I watched, it was noted that uh, it really is tailored more towards the owner of the a Jeep Wrangler as opposed to it's not really a replacement for someone who owns a G-Wagon for example which is fancy inside but looks like an SUV off-road thing on the outside yeah it's not that so when you get in it it doesn't feel highly luxurious um, but if you are more the demographic who's going to buy a Wrangler um, then I think this is potentially a better option yeah for sure uh, it could be more collectible potentially and uh, there's been a lot of interest in it so we'll just see how many they make will depend on whether or not it's collectible. If you've got the limited edition version, then uh, higher chances that one day you might be able to sell for more money. Um, I like it. I wouldn't probably ever buy it because it's expensive, but, um, you know, I don't know. I could see why someone would want it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Collectible well, item. Yeah, I like it. Um, HQLA is the Australian... <laughs> wait, wait. Wait. <laughs> Let me put these back on. It's time to get serious. Wait, were you not listening to anything I just said? <laughs> Zoning out for a minute. It's not like your voice can't travel across a meter. <laughs> HQLA is the Australian company which is hoping for its own $39 billion acquisition. Uh, this has been episode 17. Thanks for joining us. Yes, Please tune in to Instagram to yes. see a couple of reels and a few IGTVs. Yes. We're also on TikTok. TikTok. Which uh, now features three-minute clips as well as one-minute clips. So yes. we'll be mixing it up on uh, on the old TikTok. We will. We're also on Twitter. Yes. Uh, their maximum video size, since we're talking about it, is two minutes and 20 seconds. Okay. So we've actually been tailing our content our longer form content to be a maximum of that size. Gotcha. Feel free to give us a retweet, a like, a comment, Please and do. a follow. And we've been considering doing uh, some shorter versions of our full podcasts on our audio platforms. Mm. And we're thinking we might call that uh, HQLA Essentials. HQLA Essentials. So Let keep us your know. eyes out on that. Give us, a, give us a poll review of if you like HQLA Essentials or HQLA Quick Take. Yes. Um, also, uh, make sure to hit us up with any kind of questions or queries, any suggestions, any uh, yes. you know segment title ideas. Um, hit us up at hqlapodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, also, <laughs> we're <laughs> we're also on BitClout. Um, feel free to buy our um, our creator coin. You no, know what you can BitClout. actually email us at hello at hqla.com <laughs> yeah sorry yeah hello at hqla.com that's actually our email i'm going to um blur out the other one and put <laughs> this one in uh and um make sure that you stay safe during the pandemic there it is thank you there it is until next time let's uh let's go